The Smiley J Artist Zone podcast is an engaging and insightful platform designed to celebrate and explore the world of artistry in all its forms. Hosted by Smiley J, a passionate advocate for the arts, this podcast offers a vibrant and inclusive space where artists from various disciplines can share their experiences, insights, and creative journeys. Listeners can expect a diverse range of topics discussed on the podcast from artist interviews, their creative process, and other fun questions for those inquiring musical minds. Kurt, how you doing? Finally. Thank you for coming on, man. Oh, you know what, man? Uh, yeah, it's a pleasure. I, I still can't really remember. I, I can't pinpoint the very first moment that it I was, spotted you. It was a nice message I got from you. I get so many nice messages, and they all mean a lot to me on my Instagram. But I don't know yours really connected with me. It was a deep message. And, uh, yeah, it meant a lot to me. Do you know what I mean? At that time, I was giving, trying to give a lot to people that are struggling, mainly men, but to be honest, anyone. And for... I consider you as an alpha male for an alpha male to reach out to say it was a touching message. You know, yeah, I thought he's a good guy. Well, that's what I saw in you. I saw a very strong, dominant character that had no problem not just showing his vulnerability, mm. but sharing his vulnerability in order to help other people. And for me, the, old, the older I get, the more selfless I become. And, yes. I, and I realise that the more you give, the more you get. It's not my driving force for giving, but it's a fucking good feeling to give. And I just saw, mm. I saw something real powerful in you. Yeah. So You know what? It's So I used to try um, and learn from what we expected to learn, that to hold things in, um, don't show your emotions, uh, quite the old school trait, you know. Um, never taught this by my father, but just being around that industry, growing up in a, in a, in a, uh, so I grew up sort of around the docks and dock workers and stuff like that. And it was a men or a man, you know, don't show your emotions. But what I've realized, the more you hold your emotions, the less stronger you actually become because you start to break internally, you know, and, and, and that's the biggest break. So, you know what, if I feel upset or feel emotional, angry, I let it out when it comes and never to hurt anyone or for it to affect anyone because once it's out it's out and and there's nothing worse than holding a feeling in and to be slowly broken from the inside out probably with my father you know yeah i think he he held stuff in i think it was it was i think it was during lockdown he was doing some building work to his house and he, he had uh some steps to get into his back door and they were like breeze blocks thermalite concrete bricks or they were to get into his doorstep and he was wearing his sandals and he and he slipped and he cut his foot on one. I'm not lying. It looks like someone just stabbed him. Like the gash on his foot. His foot was open, pissing out with blood. I was like, right, get in the car quick. What? We'll get your hospital. Get me some fucking kitchen roll. Right? He sat. It was Sunday. I think he was watching the Grand Prix, right? His foot is pissing out with blood. He's got diabetes as well. So your feet you have to really look after. And he just had kitchen roll on his foot for days. Just changing it. Just sock on at night. And, uh... And it just, the scar, and I was like, that was me dad. He, he, he wouldn't, he's, he's, don't worry about me. Don't worry about me. And even though that was great to see, what are, is a person holding inside Liam that, that, can't, mm. that can't show a weakness? I don't mind telling people I can't do something or I'll try um, or I'm scared. I tell people I'm scared and frightened and upset with, with anything, either it be physical confrontation or life. Obviously, there's plenty of chapters and you've had a hell of a ride. Yeah. 
And I've never gone back as far as I'm just about to go back now. There's a formula to these processes. Yeah. Let's roll it right back to the start. I'm actually going to roll it back to when you was in the womb. Yes. Let's, I've yeah, never let's gone get... back that far. <laughs> and uh, Yeah, man. So I'm assuming your dad is a Kirk Douglas fan. I've asked my father. So my dad chose the name Kirk. He said, I do not know. It wasn't chosen. Hospital, I was born. Kirk. There was an argument whilst your mum was pregnant as to... Who, what you were going to be named? My mum dislikes me as a child, as a as a newborn, and it, it must be fucking hard. Hormones you know, like, completely up the spell. Unbelievable to 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 have them hormones going through what they go through, and trying to bear a child. It must be. It's not must be. It is very hard for for a woman. You know, um, women the the ones that have children. I mean, like the, the only ones. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but no. So my mum didn't want to touch me when I was born. She she wanted a girl, even though she had months to prep that I was a boy. Um, yeah, childhood. So we moved into a new house when I was four. So we were born in a in a two-bedroom bungalow. Um, my dad and my mum had this bungalow. Um, we, and then my brother was born, then I was born. And then four years later, my dad went and got this lovely new build house, a three-story house. Um, we all moved into there. From the age of, I was four years old, and I mean, to be able to observe, know, and remember everything that happened. Listen, I'm not the only one that's gone through a breakup as a child, witnessing mm. parents. Everyone has, but... It was what we knew at the time is dad was leaving mum and us. Um, and I remember the day he went to leave, I was four, my brother was eight. Dad, mum said, come and go say bye to your dad, he's going. And me and my brother went and grabbed his car keys and threw them down the drain. Um, outside, you know, like the great drains, uh, just threw them down there and just didn't want my dad to leave. And then he drove away. And yeah, that what, what realised is me dad left my mum for another woman. Um, that he had an affair with for years, you know, potentially before I was born. Um, and my mum, apparently I found out, my mum knew about the affair but never really wanted to admit it. But someone seen my father out with this other woman and uh, and said, look, Joe, like, he's, he's with someone else. So my mum's confronted him. Mick, look, you've been caught. My mum said it's either me or her. Uh, and my dad said it's her, you know, and... uh yeah, it went fucking tits up real quick for, for my mum, you know what I mean? So my dad said to me, mum, you can have the house, I'll pay for it for the kids. But my mum was very bitter, I can't blame her, you know what I mean? So uh, when my mum said, I'm going to take you to court, my dad said, look, don't want to go to court. I'll give you, a, I want half custody of the kids and I'll give you the house. But my mum's bitter, she's like, no, fuck that, you ain't having the kids. And at this time, you know, she's, she's very upset. And I want that. I want the house and it and half your money. You know what I mean. So my dad didn't like that. That he tried to give my mum a house, so he kicked us out of the house. Um, so yeah, we had to go live with my nan and granddad. Uh, so again, age of four, brother was eight, um, but we had to sleep in a in a in a double bed, all three of us in me in me nan and granddad's spare room in a school school house. Which forget how hard it would have been for me and my brother. Imagine my mother, mm. my fucking mum, man. Mm. My mum just had her life ripped off her. She's now had to go back to her parents' house and she's now got to fucking share a bed with two kids four years apart. Do you know what I mean? And then live with me nan for multiple years, mum doing the odd little job here, constantly arguing with my dad because my dad left my mum for that other woman and stayed with her. You know, and I always hated my dad for that, you know, my whole life. But then as I got older, I thought, would I... Like, cheating's bad, but would you want 
an argumentative relationship your whole life, kids witnessing arguments and fights or whatnot. As I've got older and ended relationships on my own accord because I wasn't feeling it, I I don't agree with what my father done, but I understood, if you know what I mean. And how, how was all that chaos and your parents separating? How was that affecting you at school? What was you like at school? I fucking hated the world, man, at the age of four, five, six. Angry. Angry. So it was very hard to concentrate in school because we had ongoing court cases. Dad wanted to take the kids off of my mum and my mum wanted to take the kids off of my dad. Um, so we were being pulled in and out of school a few times. Um, my mum never had no money. I can't blame her. So we weren't going to school to clean it. She tried her best. I mean, we'd have clean clothes, but they'd be old, if you know what I mean. But it was hard for the money that my mum was getting and for the environment we was growing up in. So every time we were with my dad, he's like, look at you fucking, she dressed you up like a scruff. You fucking stink. And, and it really starts to affect you after a while. Mm. I start to go to school. Thinking, you know, every, if my dad looks at me like that, does everyone look at me as a scruff? You know, teachers, do they look at me as a scruff? I got holes in my trousers. My shoes are two years old. My winter coat was taken out of the lost and found because mum couldn't afford one, you know. Um, so I felt very out of place at school from a young age, like really out of place. Like from the age of six, five, six, seven, eight, knowing that you're scruffy, you shouldn't know that, should you? Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like not having the same packed lunch as a kid, like you might not have a packed lunch or you might have what bit of leftover dinner from last night. If you had sausages from dinner, we might have a sausage sandwich for lunch. And this is no disrespect for my mum. She would have went without sausages for us to have sausages the next day, you know? And again, this ain't a poor me story. This it, is the story. It's the story. But I wasn't the only one going through this, as well as my mum, my dad. Even though my dad left for another woman, dad would have gone through this mm. in in his own emotional way, you know? But other people in my estate was going through the same thing. It, it wasn't unheard of then. I didn't really mix with other kids to an extent and I believe I have social anxiety really bad now. I struggle. I, I don't think I've only told anyone this. I struggle to tell the time with a hand, with a clock with hands. Uh, I struggle with maths bad. So I'm dyspraxic. So I can't do maths or add numbers up at all. And I'm always embarrassed about that. You know, like proper embarrassed. Like I struggle adding two numbers up. If it makes you feel any better... Yeah. I'm fucking terrible. Yeah, like, I mean, really bad. It's the first time, Liam, I've actually told people that, that. I mean, I can't do ads, two times tables, you know, spelling and reading, I'm fine. Numbers, but, and I'm not blaming none of this on my parents at all. That was their life. They tried their best, whatever hand they were dealt, you know. Um, but I believe when you're four years old or primary school, in, in, in primary school, you learn basic social skills. Basic maths, like my son, he's six. He's learning his 10 times tables at the moment. He asked me the other day, is this right? I got on the phone to his mum, Danielle, is this right? She went, yeah. I was like, well done, son. Like, I don't know, you know. But uh, yeah, and, and I believe in primary school, early ages of primary school, you learn how to tell the time, basic maths and social skills. They're my three things I struggle with in life. Really bad. Uh, and relationships. We'll get into that, you know, relationships I struggle with. But yeah, school... I just, it was hard because uh, I, I put it in my book before. And again, this is no bad mouth to my parents because I don't know what I would have done in them positions. Both of them was right. Both of them was wrong. There was no right way to do it because they'd never done it before. Um, and the perfect human being doesn't exist. Exactly. Exactly that. But um, I remember my mum went on holiday, her first holiday when she separated because uh, even though my dad, and listen, he, he ain't, 
I love my dad. He's a god. He's a god to me. He's my best friend. He's my teacher. He's my idol. He is he, more than the shell of Mick Norcross that you see. You know, I always say to people, take my dad away. I ain't took my dad away. You've took his body away. That was just his shell. You know, he's still here with me every day and most people that have met him. But uh, so my dad, even though he left my mum for another woman, he wouldn't let my mum have another boyfriend. Um, and my dad was a, you know, he could he, he, he was a bit of a character back in the 90s. Um, the work that he'd done and the people that he'd done work with and they would never let my mum, my mum tried to get, she didn't get a boyfriend for years after they split up. First boyfriend she got, tell you what, he was a lovely guy, rugby player, fucking huge, big old geezer and uh, so lovely. I see my mum happy the first time in a couple of years. My dad found out, batted the life out of him. He still wanted his cake and eat it. But he didn't want no involvement with my mum. Mm. so weird yeah so then obviously the line of work that my dad used to do was a doorman in the 90s you know and being a doorman in the 90s you're quite feared of in a sense sounds petty but it was a, a different ball game back then different ball game back then so yeah once me dad word got out not many people would date me mum without other people like you know so she was scared to get with anyone um fuck man I didn't make it easier for my mother you know because I was going through shit me, do you know what I mean? I lost my dad, do you know, because I, I didn't like my dad when, when he left because I used to watch my mum cry every night, mm. cry every night. I mean, my mum must have cried every night until I was about 13, 14 years old, just hearing her cry. And then you go in the bedroom, what's up? And she's like, nothing. Are you okay, son? But that is going to take its toll on you. Yeah, man. You know, like, I, I don't even know if I put this in my book. You know, I slept in my mum's bed uh, and not all the time, actually. I used to sleep sleep in my mother, so I, until I was like 15, 16 to look after my mother. Wouldn't let her have a boyfriend after. And I think what my dad done in the early years has rubbed off on me. Wouldn't let my mum get a boyfriend. Mm. I used to fight adults. I'm no one, I mean. I'm not saying, yeah, I fight. I used to fight adults that date my mum. But you loved her and you wanted it all to yourself. Yeah. and and I, I, I can relate to that completely. You know, and I just maybe subconsciously it was either selfish or maybe I didn't want to get hurt again because my dad hurt her so much. I remember before she had a, she had a boyfriend or seeing someone and they were only sitting on my mother's bed, fully dressed. It was in the daytime. don't know what they were doing. We lived in a council house and so sometimes the only privacy you're getting is in a bedroom because you have all mates in the living room in council houses, doors are open, people just walking in and out. People coming in and out through the back door, exactly. don't they? Honestly. Like it's their own house. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Like, are you coming in? No, I'm just passing through. I can't bother to walk around the block, you mm. know? But I walked from the bathroom to my bedroom and I see my mum and a boyfriend. Big old geezer, Benny's name was. Fucking goatee, eye-piercing, fucking huge. See him sitting on my mum's bed. And my dad, it was just not long before my birthday. He bought me a, I don't know why, a shit present, by the way. So I lived in a, in a masonette, basically like a flat. You've got no gardens or anything. You live on an estate, got people above me. He bought me a basketball with a backboard that you screw onto a wall. We ain't got fucking walls outside I could screw it onto. But anyway. Someone had to hold it. Yeah, so he bought me that. <laughs> so I just sat in my bedroom for ages. And I remember I see this fella sitting next to my mum and I run into the, into the uh, run into my bedroom, got this backboard. And they were like chipboard or wood or something, weren't they? And I've just fucking run it. And as I went to hit him, he's put his leg up, I smashed his shin. And I, oh, you know, and then my mum's crying. And then. And then I was just, as I was getting like into my teens, I'd realised I started going out a lot more than leaving my mum in. And I was like, what a horrible fucking person I am. So when I was indoors, my mum couldn't have no one. And, but now I'm going out, my mum's got to sit in on her own. You know, look, I, I was a horrible child. But you don't really under, 
I just didn't understand life then. It's only yeah. When you get older, you look back, and then that's mm. you understand empathy. Yeah. When you're when you're younger, all you know is how you feel. Exactly. So how can you make sense of the well, madness out there? Yeah. Oh well, what I was getting to earlier. Sorry, I digressed. Is um. So mum went on holiday. First time she went on holiday in years since her and dad had split up. And how old would you have been now? So let's say between six and eight. Mum went on holiday with her friend Lynn. We stayed at my nan and granddad's at the schoolhouse where we were living. And we can hear me nan and granddad having a big argument outside. It's me dad at the fucking front going, fucking man, she's left these fucking kids fucking giving it to me now. And they're like, Mick, they're fine. They're with us. She's just gone away to Turkey for a week. Give me my effing kids. So my dad was a force to be reckoned with. What should we say then? Mm. Go with your dad, kids. We didn't even realise, right? We didn't even realise that we were with dad for a long time until one day we're at school and we see all the teachers and the headmaster coming out the office to the playground. It was break time. And my mum running up to us crying and cuddled us. We're young. We're so naive. And what we'd realised, my dad kidnapped us, but not kidnapped us in that sense. Like, took us when my mum went on holiday and said to my mum, you don't have any kids back. You fucked and left them. So my mum was going through weeks of court battling to get us back. But we didn't realise. We're kids at dad's, mm. you know, until mum's finally won the court case and fucking running to school and be like, I haven't seen you in weeks. Or like however long it was, you know, and we're just like, oh, we thought we were just down with dad for a bit. Like, But again, I've, I've only really just started looking at it like, fuck, you know, how did my mum, how, how did my mum cope, Liam? Do you know what I mean? How the fuck did my mum cope? Like, she didn't at some point, you know. My mum's had to go to the doctors a couple of times throughout my early teens, you know. Um, she's gone out partying to to let steam off. Can't blame the woman. But I've got so much respect for both of my parents for the good and bad things they've done. Yeah, because you've got a very good perspective on the world and you're, you're sharp. You can see... It weren't easy for them, mm. nor was making the right decision. And what was the right decision at the time? Because really, 17, 18, 19, 20, you're finding your feet in the world. And now all exactly. of a sudden, you've got, to, you've got to find feet for, for little ones as well. Yeah. When you went into secondary school, because you were so you're socially awkward, sort of uh, the first school, second school. When mm. you went into the big school, when you mix them with other teenagers from all other schools, when they collaborate into mm. that, that one big one, was you socially awkward then? Yeah, and with my social anxiety, I overcompensate it to really confident or being a bit of a scary bully in a sense. It's sort of a barrier. Stay away from me. Mm. You know, I'm not. I'm not a scary bully. You know, I'm scared mainly. You know, but mine's either make a joke, be very loud. How you doing? You know, people think I'm quite a confident person. It's a big fucking facade. You know, it's to hide who I really am. I'm a very scared, awkward person that. Hates one-on-one -on -one interaction, you know? Sorry. You no, know, well, there's a couple of people behind us, so it's all right. <laughs> but um, no, you know, I'm growing as, 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 as an older, you know, like, but uh, I come from a bad area. In in my area where I lived in Farrock, I come from an area called Seabrook Rise, which, you know what, I, I thought it was great growing up because it was entertaining as a child. Fucking so-and-so getting nicked upstairs, him selling fucking drugs there, geezer upstairs to us selling fags to kids. Fucking brilliant. Touring cars and motorbikes. It was brilliant, Liam, for, you know, but it was a horrible area. And then to go to a school, you look down at mm. where we come from. I might not have been. I felt I was. I felt exactly the same. You know, and I felt I was. I come from a place where it was a lovely community. 
single mums are sharing their benefits with other single mums. Julie, when do you get paid Tuesday? I've been paid today. Here's a tenner. You give me a tenner back on thing. And, you know, my mate Zach knocking on my door in the morning. Mum said, you got some bread. Well, I was just about to come to yours. You ain't got some fucking tea bags, have you? You know, and it was a big fucking community of, of do like try harders, you know, trying our best, you know. And, um, yeah, and it was um, always felt, I, I used to have severe nightmares as a child from the age of about eight onwards. I think I spoke to you about my nightmares that I still have to this day of no matter what my, let's just call them dreams, nightmares and everything, just call them dreams. I'm always being violently attacked constantly from the age of eight years old, constantly being attacked from punched, stabbed, shot, tied down and tortured. I don't get it as much now with my sickness, but my mum always says it. Like I used to be sick like two, three times a week in my sleep, like, like have severe nightmares, sweat up to the point of having night terrors and just be sick and then go straight back to sleep. You know, I've never got to the bottom of it. Do I want to get to the bottom of it? But you know what? Like school was, uh, yeah. So, so when I left primary school to secondary school, so in year six, I was always a shit, a little shit. You will get away with something you know you can get away with. You will try to, wouldn't you? Of course. Kirk's mum and dad are going through a breakup. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So maybe I did use that to my advantage, but then it became a part of my character, being a little shit. Being so scared of what people think of me and what people might be able to do to me that I'll think about it you first or I'll do it to you first. Horrible way to think of as a kid. I mean, fucking horrible. So there's a chance that you might think I'm a dickhead or there's a chance that you might want to hurt me. Just a chance, just because I've got a weird thought in my head. So I'm going to call you a dickhead and hurt you first. What fucking mentality was that for a kid in primary school? It's a young age to suffer with paranoia. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm. really bad. So I'm always on the front foot, well, back foot, but then pushing it onto the front foot, you know? And then year six, I was always in a group of friends. I was a bit of a bully. I was a bit of a bully. But not out to be a big man as a barrier. Secondary, secondary school, like, where was your, where well, was your, when where I was your head at? primary school, uh, the, the school got in contact with my mum and says, we, we think it was a new thing then. So I was 10 years old. I'm 35 now. Um, so he, we think Kirk's got this thing called ADHD, the thing that's fashionable now. You know, I, I got diagnosed when I was 10. So they, my mum said, what do I do? I said, just take him to your GP. So mum took me to a GP. Um, GP just done some questions, really. I think I was, so I was 10 going on 11. Um, and then they said, I think you need to go to counselling. So I had to go counselling every Friday. So leading on to a new school, year seven, Kurt can't come to school on a Friday afternoon because he's got to go therapy. More disruption. Do you know what I mean? And then then your friends know and, you know, Kurt's got to go therapy. And it was, um, so I had to take Ritalin. And how old did you start taking Ritalin? Uh, it would have been 10 or 11. Fucking hell. 11 years of age being prescribed Ritalin. Yeah, so half of the doctors still was against it. Mm. And half of the teachers, half of the parents, my dad didn't agree with ADHD. It wasn't a thing. You're a fucking naughty boy. Fix up. And what does Ritalin do? I just a bit monged out. I had to concentrate on sank. Just do colouring or dot to dot or something. You know, what Coke then done to me. You know, so people that haven't got ADHD used to be sold as a drug in America, as a, as a buzzer, as something to buzz you out. Right. So if you haven't got ADHD and you just take Ritalin, you just get a high from it. If you take Coke, you get a high from Coke. I don't get a high from Coke. I zone out. I concentrate. But 
sometimes the Ritalin would run out. Mum couldn't get them or the doctor couldn't prescribe them in time. And fuck me. Yeah, imagine just shaking your hand on a Coke bottle. Mm. Like, I was at Coke bottle all week being shook, but I've had the Ritalin. Um, and then on the weekend, my, my dad, sorry, my dad wouldn't let me have them on the weekends. So he'd take me back to my mum on a Sunday. And I was horrible. I smashed my mum's house up all the time and they were in her houses. They were cancel houses or private rented houses. I smashed every house my poor mother had. She didn't have much, but she tried to make it look the best she could at times. And I'd smash every door off the wall. They're cancel houses. You've seen you, you a cancel house door. They're two bits of quarter ply with fucking corrugated cardboard in the middle, isn't it? Mm. 10, 11 years old, just punching my fish for them, ripping them off the wall. No, just, no respect for my mother. There's not a lot of people that I've met that have been in that situation, actually reliant on a substance at such a young age. I say I was known as a naughty kid, weren't clever and not really willing to, willing to learn. I'm not sure if they do now, but if you're dyslexic in school, when I was at school, you had the TA, the teaching assistant would sit next to you, the person with dyslexia, and they would help them. If you've got autism, you need to go either a special school or have special help in, in great, which I think is amazing because it helps these children that are not as that are disadvantaged, more disadvantaged to others. It gives them that start. When you're eight, got ADHD and I'm trying to concentrate on a board, but I can't because I can see a fucking bird flying past the window, mm. you know, and they're like, Kirk, I'm like, one minute, it's going to fucking land in a minute, you know? <laughs> get out of the class now. Get out of the class. Mm. Well, you, get out and stand at the door. I was born for TV. They used to sit me outside that class, you know, wood door with a little glass. You're yeah, putting yeah. me on TV before I was even mm. on it, love. I'm standing out of the classroom, hey, being a little shit. But where was that teacher that I or other people with uh, concentration issues that just had a teacher next to him? Kirk, can you just concentrate on this a minute? That's what I needed. I didn't need a tablet. That is such a good way to describe ADHD and just simplify it. Concentration issues. That was it, man. That concentration. was it. Concentration. I've never thought of it like that, but yeah. That was it for me. You know, that was it. So with my concentration issues, I'd get so to a point where I'd get frustrated. I couldn't concentrate. I'd have to kick out, you know? Um, not saying it's wrong or right. That was my own mechanism. I'd get so frustrated and hot and sweating and, and I can't concentrate and now I feel anxious and uh, uh, fucking smash me mum's house up. Now my mum's crying and I'm being told off. Am I a naughty boy or is it ADHD? I still struggle to control it now. So I believe it is ADHD. Do you know what I mean? But so, uh, yeah, school, I'd struggled. I didn't know what I wanted to do at all. So we're now at a stage in your life where you, you're leaving school and you're choosing what you're going you're to do. You're venturing yeah. into the real world. And I, I never knew what I wanted to do. I remember I started really liking drama at probably year nine, year 10. And I had a drama teacher called Mr. Brown, who spent most of his lessons just showing us videos of adverts that he'd been in game. It was me. <laughs> <laughs> it was me. That was me. Good lesson, guys, you know. Uh, and I, <laughs> I really, it's not that I felt that I could act. I felt comfortable in drama acting someone else than me. It's a clock out. Well, I was being someone else other than the person I didn't know I was, you mm. know? And uh, and then I think Mr. Brown said, think about what you're doing for your GCSEs. And I said, well, I'd like to be an actor, so I'd like to follow up with a drama. And he says, Kirk, I've been your teacher for so-and-so. I'd choose another career if I was you. And I looked up to him mm. and it hurt me. Yeah, I bet. It really hurt me because I didn't want to be a movie star. I wanted to do what you showed me, them adverts. You know, mm. He was a handsome teacher and he was quite fun. He was quite young. And I, I don't, he probably never knows who I am, but it hurt me when he said, you know, you ain't going to be an actor. I felt like now if he said that, I would have said, well, neither are you. Yeah. <laughs> neither are you. You know, but anyway, so 
that 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 just crumbled. I thought, well, I'm year 10, 11 now. The fuck am I going to do? That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to go drama. So we're just choosing what colleges we want to go to. And I see a picture in the back of the Sun newspaper of this shot. And it was, an, you know, like capturing a moment. Mm. And I was like, I want to capture that moment. I want to be a sports photographer. So I applied for college to be a, a photographer. And they said you needed um, multiple grades, but you needed a C in science. I knew I didn't get the grades, but you don't have to give the grades straight away. You, you only can give your expected grades in, and my expected grades were enough to get me in college. So they said they can, if I go do a year's art course in college, that would qualify. If I can get a C in art, I could then go on to, to the photography course. I can't draw for shit. So I remember we had to draw the fucking normal fruit. You put a fruit in the middle of the table, didn't they? Draw that. And I said, listen, I can't draw, but they've told me I've got to stay here for a year to be able to get in photography. I said, like, my drawing's going to be embarrassing. And they said, Look, just draw how you see it. I said, I can see it, but all right, I'll give it a go. Fucking hell. The bananas look like apples. The, apple, <laughs> the apples look like pears. The fruit bowl looked like a fucking hat. You know what pissed me off? The teacher picked my fucking work up at the end and showed the class and said, this is not what to do. Oh. And I literally stepped up, kicked my chair and went and walked out. Hmm. Rung me fucking dad up, crying. And I fucking, fuck college. He's like, I went to fucking airport. What do you expect me to do, son? You better fucking do something because my dad's always, you work or or, or education. You, you ain't a bum. As I was walking out, I'm on the phone to me fucking, like, you got to think now, this is the first term of college, but it's probably a few months in, you know, so everyone's already at their courses. So I'm out effing and blinding to me, dad, oh, fucking hell, they fucking embarrassed me. Because that teacher did really embarrass me, by the way, you know, to say that you suffer with social anxiety and then she picks up this drawing. That's, anyway. That's a shit thing to do to a kid. Bad. And I approached the teacher at the beginning and said that I can't draw, I'm embarrassed about my drawing. Anyway, I see me mate, Ollie. One minute, Dad, I'll call you back. What course are you doing, Ollie? He went welding. But where he knew that it was a family business, um, he let me join the course. I run my dad back up. Dad, I've just joined a welding class. You know what? You know when you can hear joy in someone's voice? Well done, Kirk. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fucking treat you when I get back. And I'd done this course and I'd really done good. So I was working at my dad's welding company. Was enjoying it. It was a dirty job, but I was working with my uncles, my brother, and I loved it. And, and then your dad's now immensely yeah. proud of you. Yeah, man. Yeah, you know. And then um, it got onto the, the 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 written part of welding times this dimension with that angle with a forty five degrees, and and I couldn't do it, and I just walked out. And did you continue with the welding anyway for a bit, and then I stopped. Um, it, it was too manly for me at that age, you know. Um, it was too manly, so I just become a bum. You know, I come a bum, bit violent, hanging around with um, hanging around with some some kids that you know, we smoked weed, sold a bit of weed. Used to go around one of the, you know, every every council estate's got yeah local old geezer that hangs, hang, lets the kids around. Do you know mm, what I mean? Yes, I fucking you know? do. That was my old man. Well, he used to. Uh, he was a lovely guy to us at that time. But you think he's lovely? Yeah. Um, he was Mark. My mate, it was his dad, and we always used to go around and he used to sell a bit of whiz and stuff like that. You know what the trouble we used to get? So he used to sell whiz to a geezer that lived above him, and then he used to go get us to go smash the door for him, rob the whiz. 
Yeah, you yeah, think I mean, you, you think this older figure is your friend, really not a nice person. Not a nice person. You know what I mean? Making these kids I could have been fifteen, you know. Put my foot through someone's door. He's like, he's out, he's out. He's got a load of whiz. I just sold it to him. Go smash it through. Fifteen goes here, have a bit of that. Fourteen, fifteen years old, doing fucking fucking Rizzler bombs of fucking whiz. Do you know what I mean? That is my dad, what he done to me at the same age. Yeah. And I thought he was my hero. Well he was it was it was I don't want to state the guy's name because um he was probably sick himself to do something like that. Do you know what I mean? But we were like, oh my God. Like, we we're at his house. You know what I mean? And then uh, mm. I can totally relate to this because you're in awe mm. of these older people and they're treating you like you're an adult. All yeah. of a sudden, I'm accepted as a man. My parents are telling me off like I'm kids, but this geezer's got me in it. You want a, you want a beer, Kurt? Grab one out of the fridge. Mm. Get me one as well. You know? Like, so-and-so's at the door. Go give this to him. Do you know what I mean? Doing this fucking deals and that. So but, is this the guy that introduced you to... Harder drugs. Uh, weed wasn't really there. Coke wasn't there, to my knowledge, anyway, because it was a very poor area. That was a, when it came out. It was a rich man drug, wasn't it? Mm. You know what I mean. Ease were cheap, probably because you pay a fiver or whatever, and it last a weekend, wouldn't it? Um, but no. Nah, so my brother moved out when he was eighteen, so then it was just me and my mum. Fourteen years old, I was, and uh, and a fucking just a just a bum. Potato. Well, I was a bum to be. You know what I mean? Just left college, didn't know what I wanted to do, nothing, no job, fucked off the welding with me dad. Yeah, so I remember I was in the common room with my mate James Quay and I was like, mate, I, I need a fucking job. I mean, I'll get you one. He was like, he's a black Dell boy, my man. He can get you anything you want, legit, but he's a very straight man now. But back in the day, he'd get you a, you want a push bike? You want this? Or saying legit? Because mm. I'll get you a job, Kirk. He was working in a clothes shop in Lakeside as well. He said, I'll get you a job. Took me to see the manager at this clothes shop. I said, oh, give me, mate, Kirk, the job. She said, I oh, know your dad. Uh, I said, oh, fuck, I'm not getting this job then, am I? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Um, and she went, here, look, it's your stepbrother. No, I was joking. No, she said, uh, <laughs> she said, yeah, go on then. And it was just working in a clothes shop, right? That, and that was then me. I'm surprised I didn't have you in the shop window modelling the stuff. Oh, yeah. I, I was a bit of an ugly duckling. I've blossomed now. I've grew into my features <laughs> and bought a few of them. But, um, yeah, so I went in and worked in this clothes shop, and, and then, uh, truthfully, I thought that was me. And at this stage, were you out? Because you, was your dad still working the door? No, dad left just after Tony Tucker and Pat and that um, got uh, their lives taken away that night in the Range Rover. And your dad was friends with Tony Tucker? Yeah, yeah. Was, dad, he, was he friends with all of the Essex boy firm? Yeah, well, dad used to work with them. Yeah, I don't really talk Like, you know what? I've never wanted to say that. Because people, I'm not, it's not a bandwagon to jump on. That was my dad's life. And uh, yeah, I sent you some pictures of him the other day, didn't I? You know, yeah, that was, was that was my dad's job. He used to work with, with, with Tony Tucker and Pat. And I'm not sure Pat, actually. I've never really mentioned his name. I've never, never, never met him as a child. Got a good picture of me and Tony, though, because he was a big lump of a geezer, isn't he? Got a picture of me in one hand, my brother in the other hand, and this gold box. He had a boxy, solid gold boxing glove necklace Tony did. So I remember we went to one of his firework displays. He used to live in uh, on Fobbing High Road. But uh, yeah, so when, when they got when they got killed that night, you know, that's when... So was was Mick and Tony close to, close to the point where when that Range Rover massacre took place, mm. it affected you that emotionally? Uh, yeah, and probably uh, fearfully as well. You know? Oh, so he was that close with him? He, I, I believe he worked for Tony. You know, he worked at Hollywood, he was Hollywood Romford and, you know, back in them day, you, you do what you do, didn't you? You know, you, you're doing that job for money and he didn't pay well, did it, being a doorman? Back then, doing the door was the front to whatever you was really doing. You know, so I don't know what my dad done, but 
he stayed there for a long time. And yeah, a load of people went, when obviously, when they got killed, some of them moved different countries, you know, and yeah. And dad went and done his own thing, went and, went and worked just normally on the, on the docks. Have you got your theory on who killed him? Um, from what I read, no, in my own mind that I might have put together or things that I might have heard. Pretty much most of the films say the same thing, don't they? So that probably is the truth, do you know what I mean? But what I think is it was due to uh, a corrupt police um, and the loss of a very high up police person's daughter. Leah Betts. Yeah, that's what I think. Mm. I could be really fucking wrong. I could be wrong because I've seen out throughout the years now, so many people have said that they've done it. Do you know what I mean? But I, I could be wrong. I could be wrong. Um, again, this is so out of my life. I feel out of character talking about it, but I don't think them men would have gone to a meet like that without shooters on them because there were no shooters found. You think you're going to go down that fucking lane in Retterdam without a shooter on you, even mm. if you were going to meet a friend or do a drug deal? I don't understand. Especially the line of work you're in. Yeah, you wouldn't You wouldn't do it. You know what I mean? I'll, I'll be surprised. And again, this is just me. I've got a weird brain. I'll be surprised if they originally got shot in the Range Rover. Them, uh, them pictures that got leaked with their brains blown yeah. out and bits and pieces, that fucking sir. Whatever it was, it was a heavy scene, wasn't it? Yeah, I see the, I see the mortuary pictures, do you know what I mean? And, uh, but yeah. And, and people are ob literally obsessed with the topic even now. I'm not putting them on calibers. People lost lives. If they were good or bad people, it doesn't matter. These people still have family. You know, Tony Tucker's di dad died when the police knocked on the door and told him. Out of shock. Heart attack, boom. Straight I never, away. never knew that. Yeah. Yeah, it was bad. You've got to think there was a lot of people, you know. That, well, listen, look, it, it wasn't... I, I, I feel so like I'm not in place to talk about it. But yeah, like Colton Leach, my dad grew up with him. He's a lovely man, Colton. I love Colton, you know. Yeah, lovely man. My dad used to work with all of them back in the day, you know, and that, that, that's, that was, a, to me, what I thought a man was back in the day. Mm. So that's where my temper come from. And I'm not saying, no, I can't blame that, can I? But I don't know. You, I mean, we're all products of our environment to a certain extent. And if, you're, if your role models and your heroes, they're all big, macho, solid men. Yeah, listen, they, they, they always looked out for, for me, to Colton, whenever I see Colton. I remember I spoke to Colton on my 18th birthday. I've spoke to him, obviously, since then. He rang me up and said, where are you? I said, I'm at Brown Strip Club. I said, is that doorman sitting outside on the bench, on the chair? I said, yeah. Put him on the phone. What? Put him on the phone, Kirk. <laughs> Excuse me, mate. Someone's on the phone. The doorman's like, who the fuck's on your phone? No. Nope. Uh, yeah, don't worry, mate. I promise you. No, no worries. Give me the phone. He went, have a good night, Kirk. <laughs> and, and he's like, literally a fucking, just a, a, a better night, let's say, than I would have had, you know. But, um... Yeah, so dad, sorry, uh, dad went, um, dad went off the doors. And then know? when did you start going clubbing? Because I, I suppose you, you, you've you seen nightclubs your whole, your whole yeah, childhood. Yeah, I started going into nightclubs at 16. I used to steal my brother's pass, uh, uh, passport. I used to go to uh, Liquid and Envies. Cool, yeah. In festival leisure. Yeah, I come right unstuck though, didn't I? Because I used to go every, whenever. And then when I turned 18. Fucking got my ID now. <laughs> they knocked me back. For what reason? He said, you just turned 18, ain't you? I said, yeah, look, you've been coming here for years. Fuck off. He was a big fucker as well. I went back the week after, but yeah, I just walked away. But uh, yeah, clubbing weren't really for me. So, that, so the, the club scene wasn't what led you down the drug route? No, 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 no. Because normally, like, 
back in the day, clubbing and drugs go hand in hand well, and then it escalates, doesn't it? It probably, right, yeah, no. Right, so let's fast forward to, yeah, I'm working in the clothes shop. I get into a bit of a fight at home. A couple of my neighbours were causing a bit of ag for a couple of years. And then after a while, I just said I had enough, man. You know what I mean? Rung a couple of pals up and said, listen, I can't have these doing this to me and my mum. Do you know what I mean? And then, yeah, got into a bit of an altercation. Got myself in a bit of trouble. And my mum rang my dad up and said, listen, your boy's fucked himself. Like, he, he, you know, you need to sort this boy out now. Did so you, would you go out of town on these fellas? I think they were just outnumbered. That was all. You know, that, listen, all it was, it was, it was petty then. It was child. It was, it was a couple of three or four or five boys come up to me when I was on my own for a little straightener. I said, listen, I, I, I ain't letting you weigh me up. You know what I mean? I said, let me just ring a pal just to, I said, I'll have it with you. So I said, you'll beat me. You're like, cause I was, all, I've never been a, I've never been hard. I've never been like, I'm just, I've been stupid. So I'd have it with six of you. I'll say, I'll get a couple of yous and that'll do me. Do you know what I mean? Like, and it's the scary thing, like, what couple of you am I going to get? You know what I mean? But uh, it was, um, so, uh, yeah, I rung up a couple of pals and said, get down here now. Fucking hell, my couple of pals rung up a couple of pals who rung up a couple of pals. Fucking <laughs> hell, mate. Literally, I said, boys, don't do nothing. One of me mates, he just whacked this geezer and it was like a fucking Western. Very unfair. I didn't want it to happen. It was a good... I said 30 back in the day, but that's probably my imagination. There's probably a good, good 12 people on four or something. You know what I mean? It was just un... It was me standing my ground because I lived in a rough area and if I had to, but my mates shouldn't have done it. They shouldn't have got involved. Do you know no. what I mean? But they, that's all they'd done back in the day. Do you know what Although I mean? the odds of three or four to one hadn't actually changed. They just swapped over. Yeah. Yeah, you know. But uh, anyway, yeah. So I'd, one night, we had the police at the door. No, that night we had... The, more of his friends at the door. Lucky enough, I lived, my cousin, Danny Reynolds, lived at the end of the road. A couple of them turned up at my door, all tooled up and that. And my mum's jumped out there. My mum used to have it. <laughs> what are you fucking doing? She's got coke, he's got sank under his top. I said, don't worry about him. Look, they're all holding fucking tools, mum. I said, listen, lads, what are you going to do to me with tools? I'm fucked. I can't run in the door, you'll boot it through. What's going on? Do you know what I mean? And Danny Reynolds jumped out. Oi, what are you doing? He said, oh, him and his pals have done this. Kirk, have you done it? I said, yeah, I did. I said, I'll fight him one-on-one. I'll fight him one-on-one, you know? I said, when I've had enough, Dan, just drag me off. And they battered me, because I knew I'd lose, but just drag me away. And, and my cousin said, you're going to fight him one-on-one? They said, no. And we said, well, you don't do it then. Fuck off. And then my mum rang me dad up. It sounds all petty talking about this back then, but this just led to, it was just, it was just normal shit, you know? And how long has it been since you even thought about these things that never, you used to do. Never. Just brings it all back to Yeah, it? never talked about it because it's, it's to me, it's petty, it's uh, irrelevant, but no, it's not. It's probably why I am who I am today. But but anyway, so she said, listen, he's fucked himself because the next night the police turned up as well, you know, and said, what's happened? Uh, my mum's like, oh, he was in, he was indoors. <laughs> my nan used to do the same for me. Oh, uh, listen, my mum told me what was on TV that night. She's like, hmm. this happened on this show. You know, fucking washing my clothes in a bath with salt and water she was. And I remember what she done. She went, I used to do this for your dad all the time. <laughs> like, fuck, you know, I'm my father's son. But anyway, so she rang up my dad and said, listen, you're fucking kid's uncontrollable because this is 17. I stopped taking my Ritalin now, you know. So she, my dad took me out, me and my family out for a meal for my 18th birthday. He said, what are you going to do with your life? 
I don't know, Dad. Like, it wasn't that I didn't want to do anything. I just had no dreams, no goals, no aspirations. And was your dad still running the, the welding company at this stage? Yeah, still had that, you so know. No, no nightclubs yet? No nightclubs at all. So my dad has said, you need to get yourself a fucking job. So I said, Dad, I need to go. My dad had a few bits of property at this time. He said, I've got a flat, one bedroom. He said, I'll let you have the flat. You ain't got to pay no rent or no bills. No, I had to pay bills, sorry. He said, you ain't got to pay no rent. All you got to do is get yourself a job. I don't care where you work, get yourself a job and I'll pay your rent. Well, not pay the rent, it's his, so I won't charge you rent. He says, the second you ain't got a job, you're gone, out the house. So that's when I went back to the college. So I was still going to college in the days to see my friends. And I said, James, you got a job. He took me to Lakeside, got me the job at 17. Time with dad, I got a job in Lakeside. Let's get you the house. He took me Argos. All iron board and everything for me, some bedding, put me in this flat, cooking dinners and getting a train to work on my own in the morning. Did you love that independence? Loved it, loved it. But then you you take a turn down drug lane, didn't you? Yeah, so I quit my job at Lakeside and started working with the builders on my dad's house because I wanted to graft. I love grafting. Not many people think, I love graft, I love working. So I didn't drive until I was 19. So at that point, my brother had to leave house where he was working on to come pick me up to take me back there. And then uh, I was just working with the builder. I was just laboring, mixing up cement, fucking doing a lot of chippy work. I love carpentry. He was doing a lot of work with a chippy. And then my brother went traveling. So I was having to get fucking cabs to, to work. So my dad said, why don't you come and live in Daniel's house? Daniel's traveling. Do you know what I mean? So I went and lived at what people would have seen me on, on TV, the, my dad's house, the farm. You know, I lived out and then, uh, it's, uh, yeah, never, never still weren't really clubbing, never really partying. Um, and then my father split up with my stepmom and we become best friends within 24 hours of him splitting up. Like, like the weirdest phase ever from a man that just looked down at me and told me off and didn't really have a, a bond with ring me up and says I've got a passport yeah why I'm going to take you Ibiza um fucking took me Ibiza didn't he Jesus Christ fucking hell <coughs> never done a pill before until then done fucking load of them oh. my dad gave me my first pill <laughs> <laughs> He didn't give us a pill, right? This is what happened. So my brother... But you was, was an adult by this time. When I was 18, my dad's took me and my brother out of all of my brother, with all my dad's mates. We had loads of dodgy people coming up to us saying to me and my brother, you want some, you want some XC? You want some XC? And we're like, no. My brother was like, yeah, because my brother's done them before. I'd never actually done a pill. I'd done some coke before, never done a pill. And then I keep seeing my dad come over telling these fucking dealers, fuck off, they're my kids. Fuck off away from them. Um, and then again, a couple of other lads come up, you want, you want to buy some pills, you want to buy some pills? One of my dad's mates come over and said, listen, can't tell your dad that your dad's told me to tell you, but your dad says, take them rather than them dodgy cunts over there. I was like, I ain't doing no pills. He went, your dad said you're a liar. He thought I'd, I'd party animal. He goes, your dad don't want you to do a dodgy pill and end up fucking dying. These are our pills. They're good. Do you know what I mean? I was like, I ain't done fucking pills, I promise you. I ended up doing my first pill. 
fucking sitting there looking at me dad as a friend lovely handsome man golden skin big chest fucking would you become friends you know what i mean but just just become friends with a man i felt didn't love me for the first 18 years of my life I gained a friend and a dad within 24 hours. My dad splitting up with, with my stepmom. You know what I mean? As well as I felt very dreadful for both of them, even though I didn't like my stepmom at that time in my life, she just lost a husband and, and my dad just lost a wife. Even though they chose to split up, they both just lost people. You know what I mean? But I'm like, I was a bit selfish. I got my dad back. I don't care. Not I've got my dad back. I've got my dad. But I never had this, man. It's beautiful for you. It was. Yeah. And then we just started going on holidays multiple times. Uh, and then he started taking, he knew I fancied Jody Marsh. I used to fancy Jody Marsh, right? And he used to start, my dad used to go sugar out as a customer. Anyway, one Friday night, I'll I tell you what we was doing. <laughs> me and my friend, four of us actually, I think, I can't remember, I think it was Sonny, he passed his test. We went, and, we went to McDonald's and got a load of sauce sachets and we used to drive around Lakeside dinging people, dinging people sauce sachets at bus stops. <laughs> <laughs> Like that, that, that's what was that Friday night. We yeah. had a couple of Bacardis and whatnot. Do you know what I mean? And we just stand at a bus stop. Excuse me, you got the time. Hey, drove off. And I remember I'm hanging out the window like this, and we make Rocky uh, uh, getting ready to throw a ketchup, and it's fucking open. And I'm hanging out the back, and it's gone all up my arm. My dad rung me up. Where are you? I'm just out, Dad, with my friends. <laughs> getting in any trouble? No, no. He says, uh, "You fancy Joni Marsh, didn't you?" I said, "Yeah." Book a cab, I'll pay it at the door of Sugar Up. Come up here and meet Joni Marsh. Fuck off, I'm 18. I've never done no TV or anything at this point, do you know what I mean? My cab pulls out of the room with Dad. Dad, I'm outside in the cab. Just watched him come out, all the doorman part. Do you know what I mean? Kirk, come here. All the doorman, this is me boys. All the doorman, like, hello, Kirk, how you doing? Like, like, I was like, I'm a small kid. I'm small, do you know what I mean? I was even smaller when I was 18. I was like, oh. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then my Dad introduced me to Jodie Marsh. It must have been... Must have been Halloween because she had a fancy dress thing on. She used to, she had this big red thing and she had this little tiny top hat hairpin thing. She looked fucking sexy. I actually become friends with her years down the line. Did you let Jodie Marsh know that night that you fancied her? Um, I was too nervous. You see a picture. I've got a picture somewhere. I'll fucking find it. I'm bright red, embarrassed, like fucking, oh my God. I've now come from Thurrock throwing tomato ketchup at people at bus stops to a sugar up surrounded by millionaires and fucking Jodie Marsh standing next to me. My dad just... Fucking surrounding me with this lifestyle of money. Like, it was like his way of saying sorry for the life that you had growing up, son. Like, my dad can't say sorry and he can't show love. Taking you away, putting you next to Jody Marsh. That's his way of that's saying That's his way, mate. I love like, you. And I mean, yeah. He, uh, and it went from me living in a fucking council estate with my mum doing amazing, trying her best, always tried her best, she did. Um, to like, dad taking me to, Vegas, Ibiza, Marbella. You want some money, Kirk? Go buy yourself some new clothes. Need a new phone? Mate, listen, my mum used to send us to my dad's house with, it sounds like a cliche, with shoes, uh, holes, like toes and that soles flapping off. My dad said, I ain't fucking buying you them. You know what I mean? To this mini split up with my stepmom, I'm like, what do you want? What do you want? So in my head, I listen, if someone's going to just say, here's money, here's money, what are you going to say? No. Well, if your if your if your friend, father, mother, or says, that, "Do you want do you want two hundred quid to go to Lakeside tonight?" You can say, "No, I'm all right." I fucking had nothing growing up, nothing, Liam. That's some that's some one eighty in it going Mate, from nothing to like a high life, like that, Liam. 
Mm. Like, like you would not believe. Did you love it? I, I felt like I didn't fit in for a, for a good couple of years doing it. I really didn't. My dress sense wasn't the same as the people in Brentwood. Um, so you had to reinvent yourself. The, my mannerism. Um, obviously, if someone bumps into you, ground up on a council, I was like, you're going to have it with them. Yeah. If you're at a busy nightclub in Brentwood and someone bumps into you, they're probably just going to the toilet. Yeah. So I had to sort of check myself a little bit. Do you know what I mean? By the way, I keep wiping my nose. I'm not back on the gear again. <laughs> I keep nearly crying talking about my dad. So my nose starts to run there when I cry. But uh, I'm nearly three years sober, by the way. We'll get to that soon. But um, I mean, it just, it was fucking mad. Head fuck, exciting. Everything. And you know, the main thing, I was my, I was my dad's friend, man. Like, you know. Um, so at this point, I'm still then working at the farm with the builders. Full on days, working, grafting. I was doing anything from, anything from driving diggers to fucking doing with the bricklayers. Fucking zero degrees to 30 degree summers. That was my job, you know what I mean? And and uh, it was the main reason why I brought this book out because no one, people will see, we'll go on to it, but... People have seen the Ferraris and the Rolex. You know, you know, listen, I, I love working still to this day, Liam. Mm. Like, people don't realise when I was on Towie, when I wasn't filming, I was still fucking working. I was still my... Being Mick's son, he never gives you a wage or money. He just makes sure you don't have to get nothing. So all them years I worked for my father, I never got a wage, never got a paycheck. Some days I might have to use my money to go buy something. Go, go like he might have a big meeting with 10 people in his office. Go buy everyone KFC. 50, 100 quid. I'm like 18, 19 years old. Do you know what I mean? I'd never get that back, but it was the perks of working for my father. And Mick would have been, uh, would have been respected by everyone around him. Uh, yeah, them times he was, man. We used to go sugar up, partying all the time. So did your dad buy sugar up because he fell in love with the club? Okay, yeah, my dad, I, I, I honestly believe that it was a midlife crisis. I, I, and I no, no disrespect to my dad, everyone goes through them. Yeah, yeah. My dad had very, very successful businesses that had been going for many years since I was a kid and probably would have went for many years for my kids. Good team. My dad knew his trade. He knew his trade. He knew he, he, he had Delphine Marine Services. Very good. All the billboards in London. That's what we used to make. We used to make all them. We had a contract with a company called Van Wagner. I think they're called JC K now. French JC Dukes, you'll see on the, on the thing. We used to make all them billboards for all around London. Any maintenance work in Asda's southeast of the country. My dad had all the contracts to them. Any maintenance work, we do it. Any maintenance in Tilbury Docks, that was our contracts we used to. That's what my dad knew. Mick Norcross was well and truly on the map. Long before, oh, mate, listen. Long before Towie, mate. Towie broke my father. Not ta buying sugar art and Towie was the downfall of my father. Yeah, that's when people stopped taking him serious. My dad was a fucking docker. Mm. Nineteen twenty stone doorman. Doorman sat at his office. Was at meetings all fucking day. That geezer is just a working machine he was. And then, yeah, so my dad, dad said to me, well, we got friendly. I got friendly with the owner of Sugar Up. His son used to manage it, let's say. Mm. Not really. He used to just go shag all the birds in there, probably. Anyway, I got friendly with him. What I realised the son does, the son finds out who's the rich people in there and licks their ass. Anyway, so he got friendly with me and my dad. I ain't got to say his name, but his dad's name was Chris George. So anyway, so anyway, I got really friendly with this kid whose dad owned Sugar Up. My dad took me my bar and said, do you want to bring Thingy with you? Yeah, yeah, no worries. 
My dad said, tell him we'll pay for everything. My dad paid for his flights, his hotel, we spending money, the lots. When we got back from holiday, the, the, the son, he says, oh, my dad wants a meeting with you, Mick. Yeah? Go, all right, we'll have a meeting with him. I, I wasn't at the meeting, but um, Chris George, the owner of Sugar, I approached my dad with a business deal. Have you ever thought of investing into projects? My dad's a businessman, yeah. What you got? He said, I'm about to open a nightclub in Basildon in Festival Leisure, a sports bar I'm going to make, showing all sports and everything like that, but a nightclub as well. Would you like to invest into it? My dad said, we don't know nothing about this game. You don't have to, Michael. Showed my dad some figures. We need this investment, and it was the bollocks of a nightclub it was going to be. I said, yeah, we'll have a bit of that. So then the guy said, well, listen, I own other nightclubs, Mick. My nightclubs go into one group. He had Sugar Right in Fulham, Sugar Right in Brentwood, and then this new one that was going to be in Basildon. He said, to make it easier, would you just want to invest into the group? So again, my dad's had to have another meeting with him, see other numbers. We've gone to Sugar Up for years, so we've seen that it is banging. It's the, you know what I mean? And the one in Fulham, smaller, but even better. You know, you've got big money in Fulham, do you know what I mean? So anyway, my dad see figures, but the figures that my dad see as a return, it was a no-brainer. For us to have no involvement in the nightclub, my dad still to carry on with his welding, it was a no-brainer. It would have been a, a big outlet for a year or two return and then profit after that. Do you know what I mean? Good profit. So we were going to have no involvement there, still go there as customers. My dad invested into all of them, but my dad paid for the fit out of the one in Basel and himself. Stupidly, even, we bought a load of, uh, what do you call memorabilia from vegas caesar's palace chris george said oh we, we want to do it all american and stuff like that i'm over here in america and i've got ordered a couple of containers of everything from then if you heard me speak about it on another podcast i've done this elvis thing that i tripped out on and like i mean um rocky marciana's gloves signed by him about 227 grand's worth of memorabilia for the nightclub just to show you what kind of character this person was Probably only about 20 pieces ended up in the nightclub. The rest of it ended up in this guy's house that my dad paid for. Um, my dad paid for the whole fit out of this nightclub. To fit out a whole nightclub is, is a big outlay. Um, then the guy fucked off to Thailand. The owner, Chris George, fucked off to Thailand. And if the uh, owner's not at, uh, in the same country as his nightclub, the, country, the nightclub won't run properly. So he said he was going away and he just fucked off. And then my dad got his first takings, or no, first month and looked at the books. Oh, what's happened here? It's not what I've been shown for the last X amount of years. So my dad goes down now, gets a clicker. We know how much, we know how much um, entry is. So we're clicking it. It doesn't add up. It doesn't add up. Anyway, he brings up the geezer and says, can you come back? It's not, saying it's not right here. Yeah, I'll just be out here for a little bit longer. And then, uh, so there was managers at this time. My dad legally had to own 49% and Chris George had to own 51%. Oh, so he's now more of a partner than, than an investor. Yeah. But the 51% always gets more say-so, mm. legally. 
So he could pull rank at the club and tell what things to do. And we had a door team there that my dad wasn't happy with. And we said, we need to get the door team out only because the doorman was scared of the thugs that used to come in. So it wasn't good. Do you know what I mean? Um, Chris George weren't, weren't coming back from holiday. But what he did do as well, he told the managers of the place to lower the price of entry and raise the price of drinks. So anyone can come in. So we'd still have to get all our stuff. But no one was buying drinks because they were too dear. Hmm. My dad's like, right, get here now, get back. Still won't come back. We're months in the hole now. My dad's put a lot of money into this and it ain't doing good. Um, there's so much to talk about it, but in a nutshell, so my dad demanded his money back and he said, no, nah, fucking club shit now. I'm not going to give you all the money you put back in. I'll give you this. What the guy wanted to do is run the club into the ground so much that my dad would say, I want out, give me anything. My dad stick to his guns. You know what I mean? He'd rather dig himself in an hole sometimes and climb out of it. And uh, so my dad took him to court. But this guy is a, a very shaky hand club, wealthy, respectable man in the shaky hand club industry, if you know what I mean. You know, sex parties and all that palaver. Do you know what I mean? He's very open about it. He was at the time. My dad took him to court. Done deal. My dad would have got his money back and losses. So he went to high court. You know how much high courts are? They're millions. Mm. Mil I mean, four million, you're lucky if you're going to have a case for four million. If you take someone to court and lose, by the way, you have to pay their fees as well. My dad had the best joke, just QCs. There's a done deal. My dad's going to win. My dad didn't win. My dad had to pay his own fees and the other guy's fees as well at high court. Uh, I stood out of it a little bit, but I don't know now how, but my dad managed to get the whole of the club in his name. Cost him a lot of money, but he got the whole club. Is this just the Brentwood or the no, group? all of them. All of them. The entire group. So now we've never run a club in our night. We've, we've never run a club in our life. And you've now got Fulham, yeah. Brentwood. Fulham, Brentwood and Skybar and Basildon. Right. So now Chris George has gone. The clubs are ours. Just before they become ours, he run them into the ground so much that they're shit. Dad's had to sell his life business because he's put so many eggs in this nightclub business he's got a fucking salvage tank out of it you know what I mean um the geezer was a con artist knew what he was doing from day one Rob's my dad like you wouldn't believe when my dad finally won and got the clubs in his name we got a letter from the high court to say that because my dad bought the, the club its assets and anything that come with it we didn't realise there was a million pound debt attached to the company that the guy had run up so we had to pay that as well. My dad had to pay that money. Club's still not earning no money. I think we got rid of the one in Sugar in Fulham, just to focus on the one in Brentwood. And we got rid of the one in Skybar, Basildon. So my dad's in millions, right? He's in millions. Um, and then we started getting the club to a good place again. You know, not not profit, big profit, but we started doing it and what we thought we we had we had members that pay a lot of money or spend a lot of money in our nightclub one of our members bars the busiest bar probably people spending five ten so we had a couple of swedish guys used to come over twice a month they'd do 20 30 grand on a table like once or twice a month and this was in one members bar um we weren't earning money for some reason this is about a year into my dad owning it all once we got whoever out to have a look the pdq machine for that bar was linked to the uh, Chris George's uh, offshore account for a year. 
But where we had stupid people working in the club, we didn't know. So anyone that paid on card in that bar for a year after my dad owning it went to the old owner, you know? And that was where your bread and butter is. That's where the money's in. So what we do to earn money, you've got to spend money. So toilets weren't that big in Sugar Hut. So upstairs, there's three floors in Sugar Hut. In the offices, we're going to make a, a VIP unisex toilet, their own stairway, lovely. My dad spent 30 grand on this toilet. Sugar Hut's just starting to do good now. So dad went his first bit of profit. He'll give it back to the club. Let's fucking build this lovely toilet. The members are paying big money. They've got their own entrance. They don't have to go through the crowds. They can come in the door, up the stairs anyway. The woman that fucking decorated it for us, because Sugar Up burnt down. Right, Sugar Up burnt down to the ground, um, which everyone says was an insurance scam. When you've got a business that you don't own the building, it's a lease building, You've just started earning profit after years of fucking being left in debt from the old owner and him having your pants down. Why would you burn down a fucking nightclub that just started building momentum? Because if you shut a club for a long time, people don't come back to that club. They find somewhere else to go, don't they, Liam? Do you know what I mean? So what happened, what caused the fire is the stupid woman that done the decor on the stairs, we had all silk draping on the walls. And she tacknailed it to the wall. It wasn't fireproof uh, dressing. And she'd put a nail that went through uh, a cable and would have heated up after time and just set up Sugar Hut. It's an old, old building. And it's it's basically, it's a whole horse yard. Do you know what I mean? It's an old coach house. So it's basically fucking oak timber framing the whole building. You know what I mean? And it just went up. And what, did this happen during? No, Towie. No. So this was all. This is all before Towie. All before Towie. All before Towie. Yeah, everything before I was working for my father. Um, sugar up, burnt down. Um, my dad had um, insurance for the company, and the insurance would any sort of um, damages, fire, flooding, or anything. Insurance would pay out for staff's loss of earnings, like wages, until it reopens. And also pay out for any refits or refurbishment it will need after any damages. Insurance didn't pay out. Um, we were shut for a year. And the reason the insurance didn't pay out, so we had a, um, because where we used to have multiple nightclubs, so my dad had a broker, his friend that used to, was his insurance broker that he dealt with from all of his welding days. They, they grew up together, this broker. So my dad at one point had sugar up, just the Sky Bar and Brentwood, they were the last two. But then he got rid of the Basildon one, Sky Bar. When insurance insurance knocked us back and won't pay it because of my dad's broker, forgot to tell the insurance company that Sky Bar was no longer on the thing. So the contract is void. Mm. Even though there's nothing to do with Basildon, how our insurance had multiple clubs on it because my dad's broker didn't update to say we've taken off Skybar. They didn't pay out. We were shut for a year. My dad had to pay with no earning, no money, staff's wages for a year, 36 grand out of his own pocket a month for a year. Then my dad had to pay for the refit himself, a million pound just over. And we opened Sugar up after spending a million pound and shut for a year. What happened? Flocked. Been shut for a year. People have found new clubs. They've got new places. Mm. They, they might not want to go clubbing no more. Lucky enough, I got asked to do Towie. 
you could say right place at the right time or looking back at it now, right place at the wrong time. I was friends with some people who were trying to do something. I got asked for a meeting for a potential TV show. Done a pilot for this TV show. They didn't like the pilot, but the production company loved the idea. So we didn't hear nothing for ages, and then we all get a phone call. Me, Amy, Mark Wright, Sam Fares. Do you remember that pilot we filmed? Yeah? We'll have another meeting with you. It was a same production company, different kind of... They robbed the guy who had come up with the idea, really, basically. They just waited. They'd see his idea and said, no, we don't want it. Waited for long enough to go quiet and then took the cast and fucked him off, you know. Um, so we didn't know what this show was about. We didn't know what it was called. We just got asked if we wanted to do a reality TV show, uh, a dramality, I think they called it. They take our dra they take our reality, reality, and they dramatize it. Listen, I'm working in a nightclub, Liam. It's not the hardest job in the world, what I was doing. I used to like money and I used to like girls. I got asked to do TV. I'm going to jump at the chance. And so did my father say, take it because they're going to film our nightclub. TV exposure is something that you can't buy. And listen, I need to clear the record right now. You wouldn't know, right? Because you haven't seen it. But in series one, you would think that I went out with a girl for series one. I don't have to mention her name because there's nothing that she done wrong. Okay. Then during series one of Chitawi, I cheated on her with another girl, Lauren Pope, who was my girlfriend. I, I might as well just fucking say names. I just want to talk in tongues. I got fucking shafted. I'll tell you the truth. So, right, Amy Childs and, and me, everyone thought that we were in a relationship in series one. We were never in a relationship. The whole of series one, Amy had a boyfriend that didn't want to be on TV. But they love relationships, and they loved that me and Amy were very friendly and we had a connection. So they asked... It was all manipulated, yeah? Right. So the whole of series one, me and Amy look like a couple. But I'm single, yeah? I get introduced to Lauren Pope. And we start dating, and I really start to like her. So I've told the producers, said, listen, I don't know how you're going to go about this, but I'm single, and I did like, yeah. I said, I've met Lauren. Like, she, she's my girlfriend. Like, well, we're going to have to bring her on the show, aren't we, Kirk? said, yeah. So she's a DJ, Lauren Pope was, right? So to get her on the show was I own a nightclub. I'm going to do a business meeting to book her for a DJ and then the show would have progressed with our relationship like that so all that I know is Lauren Pope's coming on and we've got to make out that we don't know each other this is how fucked up it is yeah and listen I ain't got no reason to lie about any of this I've got no reason a liar will never win we spoke prior to this podcast I told you I don't like lying because it's hard work isn't it you have to remember lies mm -hmm. right so series one um, me and Lauren met up at uh, a restaurant for a coffee purely to talk about booking her as a DJ. It was completely fabricated. She was my girlfriend at this time. But where they're making it me look like me and Amy. So anyway, we're filming, me and Lauren, sitting there talking about what music she did, da -da 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 -da, and like that, and say, yeah, I'd like you to do a little trial at my nightclub. And then uh, they said they cut the cameras. They never cut when they say cut. So me and Lauren wasn't allowed to be boyfriend and girlfriend when they were filming. But the minute they cut, I'll give her a little kiss, hold her hand and everything. During that scene, Ned asked Sam and Billy to come in. Yeah? So I'm just having a general meeting with Lauren Pope. Sam and Billy walk in and go, you right, Kirk? They're mates with Amy. You right, Kirk? What are you doing? I wanted to say, well, this is my girlfriend, Lauren, but 
they wouldn't put that on TV. So I said, I'm this Lauren, she's a DJ. I'm just trying to get her at Sugar Hut. I don't know until I've watched the episode back because they used to be filmed. Well, they were near enough live. So they used to be aired on Wednesday and Sunday. For the Wednesday episode, we'd film Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. So we had to watch the episodes back to know what was going on. When I watched that episode back, they didn't cut the cameras. When I was holding hands, they put romantic uh, music with a heartbeat. And then they have Sam and Billy walk in and it cuts to a close-up of me and Lauren holding hands. Then them two ringing Amy. Amy, we've just seen Kirk cheating on you with Lauren. I've got fucking slated on, on social media. You fucking horrible person. How can you do that to Amy? You were such a good couple. I can't. Listen, now I should have said it's a scam. It's not real. Me and Amy are not in a relationship. She has a boyfriend. I met someone, Lauren Pope, who I fucking love. I wanted to show everyone this girl that I'm with. This is the way that they brought her in. Do you know what I mean? And they made it look like I've cheated on Amy. I was never with fucking Amy. Never. Was you, was you contracted to pretend that it was real outside of filming? You get so jaded when you lived with that. You don't know what's real and what's fucking fake, mate, like, like Liam. Do you know what I mean? It's, it was like, I was just so lost. You got to think. this. So I was 19 or 20 when this started, yeah? This is still that. This is only a year or two ago. I'm still in Thurrock. Mm. Praying tomorrow I'll catch up with people and fighting in the streets. So to go in the space of a year or two from fucking living in what I would class as one of the worst estates in Essex um, at that point anyway, in the in the 90s and 2000s, to being in Brentwood on TV, being showered with girls, monies, gifts, cars, everything. It was a fucking... So I just didn't know. My head went west from then. I then have to do scenes with Amy, right? And she, they made me go to an Indian restaurant. And I said, I'm not going to go if Amy's down. They said, no, no, she ain't there. Just go. Just turn up. She's there. They're ready to do a scene with me and Amy. She's like, oh, can you do this to me? Rah, rah, rah. So I thought, you know what? I'm not having this no more. I said, Amy, you've got a boyfriend. Cut all of that scene. Cut all that scene. Cut all that scene. I always saying, I've always liked you, Amy, but you've had a boyfriend all this time. How can I get with you? Or how can I even cheat on you if you've got a boyfriend? Listen, this is what I think Towie had in mind, Yeah. They wanted a top boy and a top girl. Mark Wright, Amy Charles. No disrespect. They're great characters, great people, great looking, very successful in their own in their own way, you know? So they wouldn't let no one be bigger than these two stars. No matter how much you would have tried or naturally been, they wouldn't let you be bigger than these. You know? Imagine if that come out that that poor Kirk was the one that was single. He met a girl called Lauren who he fell in love with. They have to make him look like he's done the dirty on Amy. But at that day, that was my job. Mm. That was my job, you know. And now I should have had a bit more pride than, than, than that. But listen, people take shit from their boss every day. And what do they say? It's my job. I don't want to lose my job. That was my job. I was naive. I was in my 20s. Overwhelmed. Uh, overwhelmed, like you won't believe. To say the least. And I, I I've said this a few times, right? I remember, so... All the other Towie lot, not all of them, but sort of the original cast members. And this is no disrespect to them. I love them all dearly. Even the ones that I might have had fallouts with, I love them all. They're like my, a bit of my family. Oh, like your history, man, aren't they? A big history. Mm. We won a BAFTA. Like, we were the most popular TV show. We were on 74 countries in the world. I used to get recognised in Germany, in America. I was in Vegas once. Some woman and her family come running up to me. She's like, I'm from Dallas. We love you out here. It made it look like everybody from Essex 
was either handsome or beautiful. Well, listen, this is what pissed me off about it. So I always ask, when they asked me to go on Towie, so my mum was still never wealthy or anything, but I was at that time because I was working for my dad. I was running a nightclub and I was, I was, I was just doing anything my dad needed. So he'd give me what I needed in a sense. Um, so I said, listen, I still give my mum money. I said to Towie, I still go drop my mum some food for the week, some bread, some milk and stuff like that. Can you film me doing that? And they filmed, they filmed uh, me doing that on series one. If anyone remembers, they see show episodes with me and my mum in it. Uh, and then what I heard through the grapevine, I don't know if this is true, but it took away the glamour from Towie, me going to my mum's council flat, you know? Um, so they didn't want to film that no more. But I still love my mum and, it didn't change anything. Then series one, my dad was never in there. So my dad wanted sugar hut, even though I was very high up in sugar and I had a good pull in sugar and I knew what I was doing in there. My dad said, listen, I don't want to be in that show because no one knew how it was going to be perceived. So he said, um, I'll let you say that this is your club, Kirk, because we wanted the exposure. We wanted sugar to be on TV. Do you know what I mean? So series one, I looked like I was Charlie Big Potatoes. 19 years old, running a nightclub, owning a nightclub. And then uh, my dad see the, I think he see the girls and everything that you get off the back of TV. And listen, anyone with money and everything, I don't care. I've seen the richest of rich people still try and get a bit of fame, you know, because that money can go, you get you there. And, and the odd people want to, you know what I mean? I don't know, no disrespect to anyone, good on yours. But but yeah, look, look, I think my dad wanted a bit of the piece of the pie, that, that celebrity life. He's done pretty much most things in his life, and that's a different experience. Probably you actually wanted to do it, maybe because he thought two Norcrises on the TV, more sugar exposure. So my dad's got this weird thing, right? He doesn't know how to dad, my dad. I think he does. I think he's brilliant, but he thinks he don't. And uh, when he started coming on towel, he started belittling me. I'm like, Dad, man, series one, you just said I could own this fucking nightclub. Mm. Like, I looked very mature. Now you're coming in just belittling me, talking down to me. So I went from being Kurt Norcross from Towie to being Mick's son on Towie in a series. And it whole the whole thing changed with me. A load of things happened. So uh, with Lauren Pope, um, she always said to me, if you're ever going to break up with me, don't break up with me on the TV. And I swore to her, and you know what? If I could change anything about Towie, there'd be two things. One, my dad not going on to it because... The kind of people that my father used to do business with, I'm not going to want to do business with him once he's been on Towie. Be embarrassing, if you know what I mean. The way they used to ask my dad, getting Gemma Collins leaving a fucking pie outside his door, if anyone see that. That was all set up, by the way. Gemma didn't bake that pie. Fucking, fucking Towie went and bought it for him. You know what I mean? Like, it was it was just so corrupt, Towie. But, uh, Lauren Pope promised me to never split up on TV, and I never would. I would. When I promised her, I meant it. Me and Lauren was living together, and it just it wasn't right for me at the time. You know, just wasn't feeling it. I don't know why. Do I regret it? Yeah. Yeah, I do. She was an amazing woman. That's a hell of a fishbowl to be living in. Living together, working together, mm. being on set together. That's that's pressure. I always wanted kids early, and I knew Lauren didn't. And that, that wasn't there being an end-all. But that was a main thing. Lauren wanted to very live her life and good honor. She wanted to live her life before she had children. I wanted to live my life with children. Um, but anyway, so I've decided that I want to split up with Lauren. So you have to tell the producers everything, man. You have to tell them everything. 
So I said, listen, this, this is where I'm at. Like, I, I want to split up with Lauren, but I, I'm not doing it on TV. And they said, no, you got to. And I said, no, I'm not. She's made me promise, right? And I fucking promised her I'm not doing it on TV. She went, Kurt, you either do it or you're off the show. At that point in my life, Kurt Norcross dumping her or me losing a job, I didn't think she'd be that offended, truthfully. But was you still living together at this yeah, stage? I think, yeah, we were. We were. Oh, that's heavy. They said, uh, just tell her you need to talk to her. They said, we won't do the scene on camera. Just you need to talk to her. So I've done a phone call scene. All right, Lauren, where are you? Can you come through? I need to talk to you. Boom, they took my phone off me instantly. Took my phone off me and said, uh, like, like, listen, now it sounds so petty, like, but I could have just said, no, I ain't doing it. Fuck you, I'll quit. But again, that was my job. That was my fucking job. I, you were earning big money from Towie, not from Towie, but from the things that come off the back of it. I was doing PAs. I was doing like three PAs a week. I was only four grand an hour. Do you know what I mean? That, that was fucking worst case scenario. I'll do two PAs in a week, eight grand in a week, every week. Sometimes you do fucking one every night if you're on tour up north. Do you know? So why are you going to lose that? Uh, now I know. Yes, of course you'd lose that over upsetting someone. But I was young. I've gone from this council estate having to fucking ask the neighbour for tea bags and bread to, to this, you know. So anyway, if anyone watches that scene or remembers that scene, watch that scene back, right? Because my dad and me are at a bar waiting for Lauren in sugar up. Watch the scene again. I'm crying before the scene even starts because I know what I've got to do to a woman that I promised I wouldn't do. And I couldn't even finish it, right? My dad went mad at him after. Me and Lauren done this scene. She went mad at me and too right. She deserves it. If she punched me in the face, she would have like she would have deserved it, yeah? The one thing she ever asked me, I'd done it. And I didn't just do it. I'd done it in front of the fucking nation. Over money and a career. You know what I mean? You know, and this is this this is uh a part of my growth and a part of my journey. It also just goes to show you like these production companies that want their pound of flesh, they are sharp. You know, that's, that's, you know, it's the first time I see my dad cry as well. First time I ever seen my dad cry. So after that scene, I split up with Lauren. I run out into the fire exit in Sugar and start crying. And my, and the cameras tried to follow me crying. My dad said, fucking stay out there, use." My dad come out and cuddled me because I still loved this woman. Mm. I just, at this time, I just needed, I don't know what I needed, but I didn't need a fucking girlfriend. The woman... Lauren Pope loved her to death. It was just a bit much for me. You understand? So, so my daddy, he literally stopped me from crying. And I'm like, have I made the wrong fucking choice? Like, was it the pressure of TV? Like, you know, because even though I was with Lauren and I would have moved in with her eventually, they forced me to get her to move in. You know? And so they, they forced my relationship, just sped it up a little bit. Relationships got to be slow, steady and gradual. Even though I loved living with Lauren Pope, it was amazing. They made me do that. They made me do it like a proposal. I, had a, <laughs> I took her out on a rowing boat, yeah? And they'd already badged up a mole control boat with a box on the front of it and a boat with my house key in it. And then I took her out on a rowing boat and said, listen, you know, I've been, and it looked like the way they do it are brilliant, right? So I'm on a rowing boat and said, you know, like we're getting close and I've been wanting to ask you something. And I say, yeah, I've got something. And I pull out this mole control car at my uh, mole control boat out of my rucksack, the, the control. And this mole control boat comes up to our rowing boat and it's got a box on it. I said, look, this ain't want to ask you. Boom, advert. Everyone's tweeting, Kurt's going to propose, Kurt's going to propose. <laughs> and it was the key to my house. Even though it was my idea when they forced me to do it and it was a good gesture, I wouldn't have asked this poor girl to live with me then. 
I wasn't mentally right. I've gone from the bits to this fame thing, and it was very confusing for me. Heavy, deep manipulation, isn't it? Uh, that's, what that's what they're good at, man. So how about this? During all this time, my granddad got put in hospital very, uh, very ill. So I had to tell the, t- uh, the production company that look, my granddad's ill, so I might have to pop to hospital now and then. He ain't coming out of hospital, by the way. No worries, Kurt. You, you, your granddad, you go whenever you need to, mate. Cool. So me and Lauren then now split up. Straight away, they, they they say to me, who do you fancy? The fuck? Who do you fancy on a show, Kirk? No one. Yeah, well, we need to get you back into a relationship. No, we fucking don't. We've got no one for you to do scenes with, Kirk. Like all the other cast members. Mm. Like, give me another... Kirk, we've got no storylines for you. I said, I'm not going on a fucking date when I've just broke this girl's heart. I ain't fucking doing it. He said, what about Lucy Meck? I said, she's nice. I like her. We get on when we talk. Do you want to go on a date with her? No, I ain't going on a date with her. Well, what about we should go on a scene then and talk about your breakup with Lauren? I said, yeah, I'll do that, but it's not a fucking date. Anyway, that day, set up a scene at fucking some restaurant. I'm thinking, is Lauren going to be at this restaurant? No, Kirk, don't be silly. This is about you talking to Lucy Meck about your breakup. I said, this ain't a fucking date, is it? They made me knock at Lucy's door. I've never been to her house in my life. They give me her address, set up a camera, go knock on the door and ask her if she wants to take her out for a meal. This is what I was doing for a job, stupidly. Do you know what I mean? Now I'm wiser. But anyway, I get a call that day that my granddad just took a bad turn. So I would just give Tower the heads up and said, listen, granddad's had a bad turn today. Um, so restaurants here, but they've got a bar here with a door there so you can't see it, right? Door completely shut. Me and Lucy are being mic'd up. Normally, you're in quick, probably about half hour, hour, and you're in your scene. If you're eating, you're at your table. Fucking, we're there for hours, getting mic'd up. Like, what's going in on that fucking room? They're like, nothing, Kurt. There's other people eating food in there, so we've got to sort it out and stuff like that. Like, no, 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 this is, this, you're doing something. I said, fucking Lauren Pope in there. Now my anxiety's kicking off. Because not only have I just split up with this girl that she's asked me not to on TV, they're going to make me walk in with another girl when she's there. There's only been an episode or two in between these things, by the way. Maybe even one. So it could be a week later. Yeah. So they're know, doing two, two a week. Yeah. You know, I get a phone call, Kirk, can you come to the hospital? I think your granddad, I think you have to say bye to him. I said, right, listen, can I go now? They said, right, Kirk, we're ready. Go in and just sit down with Lucy and then you can go. I said, well, what fucking kind of scene is that then? I said, we might as well do this tomorrow. I said, I've got to go, my granddad. Kirk, you're all mic'd up. The table's lit up. The camera's alive. Just you're going to walk in now. There's going to be a waiter on your right. You say, I've got a table for two. He's going to take you to your table. Door opens as I walk to the waiter. Oh, you're fucking kidding me. Listen to that scene again and listen to me talk under my breath. You're fucking, I think you, I say, oh, you fucking prick. Lauren Pope, Maria Fowler sitting now. I was like, I've got a table for two. Poor old Lucy's had to suffer this. So I sat down. Lauren Pope shouted, you're a fucking joke, Kirk. Yeah, too right I am. I didn't know she was in there. They swore blind to me that this woman wasn't fucking in this room. I wouldn't have done this and I didn't want to do this as a date. So I've now ripped my fucking mic off. I said, listen, I've got to go say fucking go see my granddad. Kirk, you can't end it like this. Fucking rah, rah, rah. Like, again, looking back at it, like, I should, 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 the second my mum called me, I should have just went straight to the hospital. But I've been 
in behind a fucking door for an hour or two being mic'd up. I'm shivering cold because my anxiety is getting me. I'm shaking. I know secretly Lauren's going to be there, but they're swearing blind she ain't. So anyway, fucking Maria Fowler starts fucking giving it to me. You're a fucking mug. And to be honest, I was. I was. If you see it, had ever seen it, I was a mug, yeah? So anyway, we had a little to do. And then I fucking ripped my mic off again, run out the back and said, Mum, I'm leaving now. And they said, it's, my mum said, it's too late. And my granddad went, um, <laughs> during that scene, um, I would have made it. I would have made it to say bye to him if they just left me when I asked. But they wanted to make me look like I split up with a girl on TV. Then the next day I took another girl out and I missed my granddad's saying goodbye to my granddad for that. You know what I mean? For money, for a job. But it wasn't a normal job, Liam. It's your lifestyle, man. That's all I fucking know. They fucking fabricate your life and your job together so well. You don't fucking know what's what, you know? And sort of after then, man, I uh, sort of, I think I, I think I left Towie for a bit then. Do you know what Towie sounds like to me? It sounds like a cult. And this is another thing Towie done. You have to tell them everything that you're going to do, okay, Liam? So I, I, I saved up enough money to buy a Range Rover Sport. Lovely, nice Range Rover Sport. I rang up to producers. Look, I found a car that I want to buy. Is it, you want to film it or anything like that? Yeah, but we've got a few scenes booked in at the moment. Can you just hold off for a couple of weeks? I said, yeah, no worries. No worries. You know what I mean? When you're filming, you get a text the night before to say if you're needed or not. And they said, filming, Kirk, tomorrow, you and your dad filming at your house. So when you're filming at your house, you don't even leave your door. So anyway, I'm filming a scene. They've come in my living room to mic me up. And they said, Kirk, you're going to walk out your front door. Your dad's there. The cameras are set up there. Your dad just wants to talk to you. And you just go along with it. That's all they say. They might have prompted my dad what to say. But all I know is I'm going out there to have a father and son chat. So I've come out my front door or wherever. I can't remember the exact layout. And my dad's talking to me and he gets me a white Range Rover Sport. I'm doing the scene, so I've got to play along with it. So I'm very surprised and thankful. Scene cuts. I said, Dad, what the fuck have you just done? I've got the car that you wanted. How did you know I wanted this car and why have you bought it? He says, Tally rung me up and told me, when I say Tally, I mean producers. He said, producers have rung me up and told me that you fell in love with a car that you wanted to buy, you ain't got enough money and it's put you in a bad place and it's really got you down. I said, Dad, I've got the fucking money for that car. I was about to buy that car. They've told me to hold off. They wanted me to look like a little rich kid. So do you know what I went and done? My dad's first car I ever remember him having was a Mercedes SL350. Remember the old Merc two-seaters? Yeah. Went and bought him one. Old one. Cost me 17 grand. Lovely. Not the same colour though so I couldn't find a red one. Rung up Towie. His father's dad bought my dad a fucking classic Mercedes, the first car he ever had. That's not really a scene, Kirk. What do you mean it's not a scene? Just bought my dad his favourite car that he had when he was, when I was born, bought him it for Father's Day. Yeah, not really a scene, because they wouldn't want to show that light of me, me spending nearly 20 bags on my dad. Do you know what I mean? So my dad knew that they'd done that as well, wouldn't, wouldn't let me put that in. So he done, they filmed him going for a drive in it. And he'd done a scene with someone else. I think it was Maria and someone. And they said, oh, nice car. Or they took the piss out of him, actually. He said, it's a bit of an old man's car. It was. My dad's an old man. Do you know what I mean? He's a gentleman. 
And my dad said, yeah, yeah, my son bought it for Father's Day. Kirk bought it for me. They left every part of the scene in and cut that. Kirk bought it for me out. They knew where they wanted to go with me. Making you the villain was obviously increasing their, their yeah. ratings. I, I, I say this sometimes, but I hate saying it because I sound like a fucking sore loser. Listen, I've got no disrespect to the man. I'd love to have another go. because, <laughs> But Mark Wright, you know, um, me and dad owned a nightclub and we worked hard to own our nightclub. We give Towie our nightclub whenever they wanted, even when we was open. Do you know how disrupting it is to a fucking nightclub with a thousand people in it for them to have to do a scene in the middle? Mm. Do you understand the ag, the customers that won't come back the next week, the money that you would lose potentially for that? We give them anything they want in Sugar Up. Everything. Whenever there was a scene in Sugar Up, we were paying for it. We were paying for the bar staff. We were paying for the fucking doorman there. We were paying for the drinks. We were paying for the electric. We were paying for the lease of the building. Whenever there was a scene in Sugar Up, my father paid for that. Every other party you've seen in, on there, Tal we pay for. Mark Wright's engagement, Tal we pay for that. Horses taking them in, cakes, food, parties, dancers. Whenever we had a party, Dad had to pay for it. Remember what I said? They wanted Amy and Mark to be the top draw. Yeah. Mark Wright just appears to own a nightclub overnight. All the limelight comes off of us and goes on Mark Wright's nightclub. Mark Wright never owned a nightclub. He knew someone that owned a nightclub. They owed money to a bank, apparently, and he couldn't put his name down. Mark never owned a nightclub. No disrespect to Mark. Mark's played a game and he's done very good. Like, he smashed it. Well done to him. Good looking. Fucking knows what he wanted in life. Didn't let nothing get in his way. No disrespect to Mark. It was the producers that they don't realise the sacrifices that my father had to do to have that nightclub. And they're like, oh, we need limelight back on Mark. Can we fabricate this nightclub or whatever it was never the boys it was never marks mark never owned a fucking nightclub but you know and they even made me do a scene in there fucking and they're like kirk can you like talk shit about it a little bit why would i want to do that so they they fucking they heard me so i was going to a piss with one of the runners was in the toilet at the same time and as i used the sink the tap fell off or sank and they said didn't you moan about the tap or sank kirk I said, yeah, but they've just finished the club, mate. They've been building it for the last month. Do you know what I mean? Of course it's not going to be straight. Anyway, they made me say that in a scene. It made me look like bitter. Do you know what I mean? But again, I shouldn't have said it. They they had their favourites. They had their favourites. But I can't blame them. It's TV. That is the industry, mm. okay? So you, you don't talk to Mark? No, so this is why I don't talk to Mark. Man, look, I sound like a sore loser, but I tell you what, growing up where I grew up from, right, being a dog and a snake is the worst thing ever, yeah? Mm. You'd be a snake to someone, right? Like, listen, so Mark Wright, me and Mark Wright have asked, been asked to do a scene. I believe it was in his nightclub. I'm not sure if it ever got aired because I stopped watching it at the end because of the way I was being portrayed. Because I could say 10 nice things and one bad thing and they'd cut out the 10 nice thing I say and just leave the one bad thing in. Anyway, Mark Wright done a scene and said, Kirk, because I've got a charity boxing match. And I sound like a sore loser to say this, but I ain't. I'm saying it how it is, right? He says, listen, I'm doing a charity boxing match, Essex Boys versus Celebrities. He goes, the boy that I've been paired up with, I've heard he can box. Mark said, have you boxed, Kirk? I said, never in my life. And I hadn't. I'd never boxed in my life, right? He said, would you want to do it with me for charity? He said, we're earned some money as well because it was Mark's parent nightclub that was putting on the event. So he said, we'll sell tickets and everything. He says, I've never boxed. I'm, I know I can have a fight. Or think I can, like whatever. I'm not saying I'm no one, but I know I can handle myself. So he said, Kirk, I've never had a fight before. Do you want to do a charity boxing match? I said, yeah, go on, let's have it then. I think it could have been a month in advance before the fight. 
I said, how are we going to earn money off this then? Mark said, Kirk, I'll give you tickets. You sell your tickets. I'll sell my tickets. We have the money, yeah? Straight as that. I never got no tickets. I asked every day, by the way, for tickets. I never got tickets. My mum and her friend went. I had to pay tickets. I had to pay, I think, like £500 for my mum and her friend to go that night. Like, it's how we didn't pay. I paid at my event that me and Mark drew the audience to. Anyway, so I knew Mark was a professional or semi-professional footballer. So I used to go jogging two miles in the morning and two miles at night. That was my training, purely for cardio, because I was a druggie and a smoker, do you know? Mark near enough rung me up most days and got other people to ring me up to promise that I ain't training. I, I know I can have a tear up. There's no reason for me to train. The boy told me he's never even thrown a punch in his life, so I don't need to. Um, me and Mark done a scene at a boxing uh, fit out place where they sell equipment. Mark chose all the boxing gear. He chose the gear for me. He chose the gear for him. This is just, I'm just saying like, at the end of the day, there's two people in the ring, yeah? Best man won. That, that, I'm not a sore loser on the fight. I just want to show you the build-up, yeah? Um, he chose all the kit and he said, Kirk, it'll be delivered on the day of the fight. Rah, rah. I'd done no training other than a five or ten minute scene I'd done with, um, they wanted to bring one of my doormen, Ben. He used to be a cage fighter. They wanted to bring him onto Towie, but they had no in for him. So the minute I had a fight opportunity, they was like, that's Ben's in. He could do a bit of pad work with Kirk. They got me in a cage with Ben. Ben King's a daughter. Ben Smith, I think his name was. Lovely guy, but he's a cage fighter. I don't care if you're a friend or a family member with someone. You shut a cage on someone, that's all they know. Yeah? Right? They said, Kirk, you're going to have to do a little cage fight with him. I said, you're fucking stupid. You, f you think I'm getting in? It was heavyweight, by the way. You think I'm getting a fucking ring with heavyweight? Kirk, you're going to muck around. I said... This guy, even though he works for my father and he's my friend, he knows one thing when that stops, that door shuts. You understand that? Kirk, we are filming a two-second scene of you in a thing. So, I, by the way, I've done no training. So, you might have seen a clip of me doing a bit of pad work. As much as you see is the much as I did. Yeah, training. They never showed Mark training either. No training. So, I'm watching Towie at this point weekly. Oh, he ain't training. He's on the phone to me still, Kirk, I'm so busy with work and deuces, his club. He goes, I haven't got time to train. I'm thinking, I've got this in the bag, man. You know what I mean? So, day or two before the fight, there's this, they get me to do a scene with my doorman in the cage. So, I'm shitting myself, yeah? He's like, Kirk, just throw a little jab at me. He's like, oh. So, I threw a little jab to hit his glove. He went, no, jab me, Kirk. So, I flung a jab at him. And I think I hit him in the neck or chin or chest or somewhere, yeah? He has just gone full pelt. Posh, waxed me straight in the bridge of my nose, broke my nose, well, cracked it, it didn't break. I got a crack in my nose. And then by the time I went to go back, he had grabbed me, body slammed me to the floor, cracked two of my ribs, right? Scene cut. Have a look at that scene again if you ever watch it. Watch the note, blood trickling from my face, yeah? From a friendly scene that they wanted to film for me. This guy was, I can't remember, Cage Rage, I think he'd done one of them. Lovely guy, Ben, lovely guy. He was heavyweight champion of, of, of Britain. Okay, and they got me in the ring with him. Cracked my nose, cracked two of my ribs, right? You've, Dorman, you've cracked the ribs. What, bad, aren't they? Yeah, they're not nice. You can't even breathe, You can't can breathe, you? yeah. You've got to yeah. go on an oxygen yeah. tank. And so I went to, where did I go? I went to the doctors and they, they, they felt it and said, you've got a crack there. It's not broken. You can leave that. Do you know what I mean? Anyway, day of the fight could have been the next day or two days after. I ring up Mark. Mark, I've got to pass the boxing place. 
on the way to the boxing. Do you want me to pick up my gear? I know, I've, I've, I've just picked it up. I've put it in your dressing room, Kirk. So a runner is someone that works on TV that just looks after people. They run around. So I had a runner looking after me that day. Like Philip Schofield's runner. Exactly. I didn't touch mine, though. <laughs> right. So um, I get to the boxing thing. By the way, I still haven't been given no tickets. All tickets are sold now. I was meant to earn my money. Ringside seats were a £1,000. There was 12 ringside seats. I never got no money, even though this was being filmed on Tower. There was a 1,000 people audience as well turned up. It was at a place in, uh, no, like Romford. There's a roller skate place. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was where the boxing thing. It was a big, a big mm. venue, you know what I mean? Filled it out. Yeah. So, oh, by the way, the night before the fight, my dad's come and collared me, isn't he? Well, listen, he's laughing. He said, Kirk, my dad knows I've got a bit of a temper. Like, he said, Kirk, come here. He was at his house. He said, come over to mine. He said, I've just had, Mark's just met me in my office, right? He said, he's shitting himself. So Mark had asked for a meeting with my dad and say, listen, I've heard Kirk can have a little tear up. I've never had a fight. Can you tell him not to go in all guns blazing? So my dad said, do not fucking bully this kid because you're going to look horrible. My dad didn't want me to go in and look like a bully. Yeah. So I said, I'm not going to. I'm not going to. Do you know what I mean? I don't know how to box, but I'll have a little tear up. So Mark's just told me that my boxing gears, he dropped it himself. I've turned up in my dressing room. I said to run, Eddie, my runner, where's my stuff? He said, you're getting it. I said, I've just spoke to Mark. He told me he dropped it here. He said, Mark just rung me up, Kirk, and told me that you're going to get it. I said, see this fucker, mind games. Like, anyway, so we had to get the company to come drop it up. I've opened my box and they were these helmets that I remember Mark saying we don't want because they're very loose. They only cover this part of your face. They're not like them ones. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But when I've opened the box, I thought, oh, listen, we've, we've both got the same gaffer anyway. Do you know what I mean? I don't care. It is what it is. So I had a, my cape, my doorman was my ringman, and he knows I can't box. And he said, Kurt, all you got to do is not lose your temper. In a boxing match, don't lose your temper. Just, just that left hand of yours, just go. And if you can see one for your right, just ping it down. Yeah, no worries. I'm fucking confident as fuck, man. Do you know what I mean? I'm so confident. Anyway, fucking, I've got out the ring fur in the ring first, fuming because. I'm seeing this whole event filled up and I should have been earning some big money from this. Mark didn't give me a ticket. I've been asking for ages, yeah? He owned the bar as well, so he took all the fucking drink money. Um, and then, oh, and on that morning as well, they fucking woke me up at 4.30 in the morning. I had chickens at my house. They wanted me to do a Rocky scene and chase the chickens around my farm. 4.30 when I got my first ever amateur fight. Yeah? what In my head, it looks like Rocky. On TV, I look like a fucking idiot. Mm. Like a fucking idiot. They haven't shown me or Mark do no... They've shown me do that pad work, yeah? They've never shown Mark training. On the night the fight aired on TV, they put all the montage of Mark's training for ages. So Mark's granddad was a professional boxer. Mark's dad was an amateur boxer. Mark Wright has had multiple amateur fights before me. Mark Wright grew up in a boxing gym with a boxing family. I didn't know this until after. But then when you watch the night of the fight, you can see he's having proper training. He's in proper boxing gyms. Got proper professional boxers training him. Anyway, I don't know at this point. Mark comes into the ring, tries to square up me straight away. I'm thinking, 
the minute he squared up to me, I went, I can't see his face. Straight away, I said to myself, I was like, I can't see his face. He's got this fucking guard on that comes to his eyebrows, covers his cheekbones and covers his chin like this. I've got this one. You know what your fucking mum and dad would have bought from Argos for you as a kid mm. with the sponge fucking bag? I'm thinking, fucking hell, man. Anyway, shit, I don't care. I reckon I can knock him down with a punch without a lid on. Anyway, me corner man saying, don't lose your temper. Well, I ain't losing my temper. I've fucking got this. Watch this. Bell's gone. I don't know what happened first, but that first punch of the first round broke my nose. He has gone. Doo, 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 doo. My head guard had spun round now because they're the ones that Mark said he didn't want because they were too loose. Mm. So straight away, I've had to go back to my corner because my lid turned off. Yeah. And Ben went, he's a fucking liar. He can box. Kirk, don't lose your temper. Anyway, flurries again. I can't see. I can't breathe. Because you got to think, the day before I cracked my nose, I sound like Tyson Fury or Tommy Fury making excuses. Two people in the ring I lost. He was the better fighter. I ain't no, I'm not taking that win away well, from him yet. He was a fighter. Yeah. So again, my lids come off. They've had to get another one now to put on me. Yeah, they put another one on me because just kept, every punch was coming off or was knocking round, so I couldn't see nothing. Like the lid a whole turn round. Um, my nose was fucked. Literally, I'm trying to throw one. He's fucking perfect stance, long ways, can't get to him. Me, I'm a brawler. I'm square on. I'll run at you like a fucking ball because I'm thinking if I throw 10, one will drop you. Anyway, <clears throat> like, and uh, my nose is fucked. Like, fuck, so I, no, I just need, I'll show you the picture after, man. Like, fucking, so, um, but listen, two people, I, I like it. I don't mind having a brawl. You never, it never hurts when you have a fight, does it? It's always after. You feel a bit disorientated. Fighting's fine. Being sort of led in the wrong direction by someone who's supposed to be a friend. Yeah, but. That's the mood. So bit. anyway, I remember the third round, the ref said, I've got to stop it because of your nose. I said, fuck, mate, have you seen what's just happened to me? Two more minutes. Are you actually going to stop it? Listen, I did get him to the ground and I feel proud about that, you know. But anyway, I got battered. I got battered what you see on TV. My dad made him cut it because I got even more battered than you see, right? Mate, that fucker lied to the point of making sure I didn't train, ringing my dad up scared or meeting my dad. I can't remember. I think he met my dad. Telling him he's scared that he heard Kirk can have a tear up. Fucking making me pay for tickets for my mum to go. That was an easy 20 grand event that that was there, yeah? I should have got half of that. Half of the audience there was Mark. Half of them was for me. I do sound like a sore loser, but I give so much to this show to not have girlfriends taken away from me, stuff put in front of me that I wasn't ready to deal with at the moment. All this shit, like, it was just too much. Like, and then you're going to fucking... And then I recently spoke to a woman from ITV, yeah? And I told her about all the shit that they used to put me through on Towie. And I said about not knowing Mark was a fighter. She went, yeah, we all knew he was. We all knew that Mark was from a boxing family. Do you think it was the producers that... I think it was a bit of both. ...advised Mark or Mark was actually a shark himself? I think a bit of both. I rung him up. I think, I can't remember after. He said, listen, you fucking, let's meet up again. Let's meet up now. Like, like I'm not a sore loser. There were two people in the ring I lost. I said, let's meet up now. And I remember him just, it was via text or something. He said, oh, look what I've done to you. If we meet up now, I'm only going to do more damage to you without gloves. So, and up until this point, had you and him been cool? They really wanted confrontation to happen. They really wanted confrontation to happen. They really wanted it. Like, 
They really wanted, they kept telling me to dig out Mark and say these things. And I used to do it as a bit of banter and stuff. Like, like I had a party and they said, invite Mark to it. And I already knew that Mark couldn't go because he was doing something. And they said, no, invite him because he's out with Lauren filming a scene. I said, well, I know. Why am I going to invite him when I know? But when he says he's going out for a meal with Lauren. Wanted to rattle your cage. No, no, Lauren Goodyear. Oh, I'll sorry. say to him, oh, now you ain't she letting you do what she wants to do now? I was like, why are you making me like, listen, like that, that was a petty version of Kirk, right? And the reason, so everyone said I had anger issues and temper, okay? Yeah, and I did. I had a big bee in my bonnet because you don't understand what was going on. But at that time in my life, the money was better. Mm. The money was better, man. Like the money was big. big. So you, and you, you lasted three years. I think in and out. I was coming in and out for three years. It was. Uh, um, was you made the villain from the from the offset the first year? No, only not until I met Lauren Pope. Was, that, that, was that the first series? Yeah, I think that was the first series. So you still had another two series after that as the villain. Was you hoping that they were going to bring you back and try and put you in a good light? Yeah, I think I was. I think yeah, yeah I was going out with Lauren Pope and little Chris had a St Patrick's Day party and big big party. I was dressed smart. Every all the guests were dressed smart. Rah rah, and they had two new cast members coming in, which I knew. Dan Osborne and James Locke. I knew Lockie. I met him in Vegas. Lovely guy. I was quite excited that another alpha male that I knew was coming on so I could be friends with them. Because um, when I love Joey Essex, but they were making me do like immature scenes and I wanted to sort of grow up, you know. J Joey Essex, I love the scenes with him. My best days I've ever spent on Tower is with, with, mainly with Joey. You look similar. Do you think he's so handsome? Yeah, well, you both are. Oh. Yeah, now you mentioned that because the only people I remember from Tell, sorry to interrupt, is, mm -hmm. is you, Mark, Gemma Collins, Arge, was he big Arge back then, and Joey Essex. Yeah. So that's that's five people out of yeah. that whole well, that, show. That was near enough, the, the, the key collection, you know. But uh, so I knew that these two cast members were starting. So the, the scene was, this Kurt, we've got to film a scene with you. And I could see one camera and one light. I was like, what's the fucking scene? What am I doing on my own? Um, and they said, right, this is what it is, Kirk. So I could see in the middle of the dance floor, Maria and Lauren with cameras around them, and I could see cameras at the entrance door as well. They said, right, two people are going to walk in, Kirk, and they're going to walk straight over to Lauren and Maria. When you see one of the guys flirting with Lauren, we want you to give a dirty look that way. I said, no. So if someone's talking to my girlfriend in a flirty way, I will walk up to him and introduce myself and say, how you doing? I'm Kirk. I'm Lauren's boyfriend. No, 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 Kirk. We want to give you a dirty look. You know, like, we want you to give a dirty look. No, I'm not letting the nation think that someone could chat up my girl in a nightclub and I just go, ooh. Mm. Like, the guy might, it might not be his fault. He might not know. Let me go up and say, hi, Lauren, who's this? Or say to the, to the lads, how you doing, lads? It's my girlfriend, rah, 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 just to make... When the lads come in, I said, oh, I know him. That's fucking lucky. That's the guy I told you I met in Vegas. No, 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 Kirk, you don't know him. No, I, no, I do. <laughs> I do know him. That's the guy I told you about, James Locke. And then, they, and then I knew what was going to go on. They brought two big alpha men strapping, good-looking lads on. They wanted to get the best of Kirk, what they call the best. That spoiled boy ain't happy, gets angry. And I literally just walked out. That was my last scene. I said, you fucking want to do this after you've done this to me for years? 
You didn't want to put me up against more alpha males. I've already told you, bring men on for me to be pals with. I am funnier. When I've got friends, I'm more funnier than nasty. You know, and I, yeah, I was just done with it. So that was it. That was it. Done. Done. And done. what about your, your, your drug taking? Because you, you make no secret that you, that you're yeah. a drug addict. How, so, how did that slip in with the program? So I've, I've always done um, drugs from my sugar customer days going as a customer. And I'd do them a lot when I'd done them, but it was just weekends. Like I could do, I'd do a lot when I was sniffing. I'd sniff like like it was going out of fashion. But then back to the reality on the Monday. Do you know what I mean? Done. You've got a very busy life, and you had a lot of time to to do work. And as I said, I was doing Towie, but I was also working as in Sugar Art. My dad was always building at the farm, so I would be working with the builders. We was always doing things, so there wasn't enough time. I felt the, the weekends were enough. The time I'd done the week's work was gone, and I, the weekend was back again. You know, so yeah, when I when I done drugs, it was a lot. Uh, then I, when I had enough of Towie, whilst you were filming Towie, mm. so people that remember you on Towie, you were predominantly on a come down. Yeah, so I there was one I'd never wanted to do drugs or drink. Um, why filming? Um, one, because I look out my nut. I look, I, I look like obvious when I'm on it. And two, it wasn't professional. You know, I had young kids watching me and stuff like that. They were, it was, it was young boys and girls. You're mainly young girls who used to watch Towie. And I, I, I always knew that drugs weren't good and drugs weren't right to advertise. So I never wanted to do that. Um, there was one time I actually did get caught. I was, I was out my nut on it. So you always just get a message from Towie to say if you're filming the next day or not. And I'd get the message. It was on a Thursday night. Uh, Thursday night, saying you're not filming tomorrow. Have a good weekend. So I remember a, a new a new drink drinks band brand come out, and they just sent us a load of booze to sugar up. It was a uh, like sex on the beach in a can. Um, so we had it loads at my house, and uh, I don't really drink, but you love cocktails and stuff. Do you know what I mean? You can drink them like water. So it's Friday night, I'm indoors on my own. I fucking ordered an eighth. Um, no, first fucking me. It would have been Friday afternoon. Ordered an eighth. I had these crates of these canned drinks. I'm getting out of my nut. It's now Friday evening. Get a phone call from one of the producers. You all right, Kirk? Yeah. Kirk, uh, where are you? So I'm at home. Right, we need to film at yours now. No, I'm not filming today. Check the, check the rotor. I got the message. Yeah, I know, Kirk. Something's come up. We need to film a James Bond party at your house. I said, I'm drunk. You can't do it. They said, Kirk, it has to be done. So what the scene was, so it was a roulette, James Bond theme night. I had a games room in my house. So they used the pool table and I had a roulette thing and, and whatnot. And uh, they said, there's a, there's a scene that has to be done now, Kirk. And it was one of the cast members wanted to confide in me that they are not gay or straight, but they would not say no to a man or a woman, which is a very emotional scene for a boy to come out publicly on TV saying that I'm out my fucking nuts. Scenes like that. There's a lot of close-ups, a lot of close-ups because it's all about reaction on TV. A lot of TV, I ain't what the person said. It's how they react to it. So I know there's a lot of close-ups and my jaw goes like this and my fucking eyes go like that. And, uh, and I was like, I'm drunk. I can't do it anyway. We've done the scene and uh, I used to speak to one of the directors. <laughs> he said, Kirk, you, you weren't drunk, was you? He said, yeah, yeah, Mark, I was. He said, you were out your nut. He said, I'd done the edit, Kirk. He said, I had to throw so many of them on the floor, man. He said, you were out your nut. But that was the only time I'd do it 
on 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 Towie, but that was I didn't mean to, you know. It was a it was a scene that got got put on me, and I was already out my nut. But but, you, but you'd still use when you weren't being. Filmed. Oh yeah yeah yeah. So for instance, so I never felt like I fitted in with um, let's say the Towie mob, the other cast members. You know, I felt very different when I was around them. Um, I didn't feel that I fitted in. I sort of had a different mentality. I felt I didn't dress good enough for them. I didn't look good enough for like to hang around with them. They're very all attractive people, you know, from Mark Wright to Sam Fairs. They they wake up beautiful. These people. Me, I I felt like a council estate boy. Do you know what I mean? Quite stained teeth or whatnot, you know. And I just never, yeah. So once I'd finished filming, I'd go back to my old manor in 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 like fucking in the crack house or something, and just you know sit there. And, I'd never do the crack, but. I felt comfortable in them environments. Sort of brought me down at peg because um, doing doing these things, it was like weird for me. Like I was like being at a red carpet event on TV, and I was like, "This ain't me." I feel more comfy around in a in a, in a fucking drug dealer's house. So I'd go from filming a fucking and let's let's say it straight. It was the biggest show in the country. Love it or hate it, even the people that hated it watched it um like we we had millions of viewers it was it was an amazing episode you know um an amazing show sorry it still is it's still it's still going there like series 30 now. it's still going series 30 or maybe 32 33 i wonder if they'll reach out to you ever well i'll tell you they did I, I, yeah so but um but yeah back to the drugs yeah so yeah i'd be i'd go be filming and i'd like i need to go back to what i classed as home so i wouldn't even go back to my nice home i'd go to where i grew up you know, furrock and go to a boozer where there's a fight or where I know a geezer's fucking sniffing in the toilet and I just get out and up for a couple of days and then boom, filming again. So, yeah. And Coke was your drug of choice? That was always it, yeah. Uh, I never liked it. hated the buzz and it's so weird. Like, to, people can't understand that. When I, I didn't like drugs, but it took me away from me, Liam. It, it just took me away from... I, I'm 35 now and... It's took me, my dad's been gone two years, two and a half years. It took me two and a half years to find out who I am. So at that point, I didn't never know who I was, but people were asking me to be someone on Towie. Mm. Hey, Kirk, we're filming you. I don't know who Kirk is. I haven't had time to grow. You know, I, I didn't have time to grow. I got picked up and thrown from this place to that place and my head was all over the place. Is there a chance I'm going to go back to the council estate or do I need to change my mentality to fit into this Brentwood rich thing? I didn't know where I fitted in. And then by that time, I didn't fit in anywhere because I had too much money to be going back to the bits. But I had too much of a council estate mentality to being around with a, with a rich people. So I felt more comfortable just being out my nut on my own because I criticise myself a lot. Um, and when I do drugs, I wouldn't. I just wouldn't. This is, so my head's like, din, 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 din. So you find peace when you consume. Yeah, but that's not good peace because whatever problem I should have dealt with doesn't go away when I sniff drugs. Never will go away that problem. It'll probably get worse. Mm. Well, I realise now you've got to face your problems and deal with them, either with friends or family or on your own. It could be a problem that you've got in your own body internally, mentally, spiritually, you know, and there's no, there's no drug riddling or, or anything other than talking. Yeah, so drugs drugs were a problem on the weekends. So or when I'd done them. When I knew I had enough time off 
to do the drugs. Yeah, it was like making up for lost time. And I wouldn't talk on them. I wouldn't be like these people you see in clubs, like, yeah, 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 fucking, yeah, fucking on it. Give me that. And I'm like, I'm going to go home, sit in my bedroom, smoke fags and play Candy Crush on my phone and look at loads of porn. See you in a few days. I've got my mates ringing me. I'll be just texting them. They know when I'm on it because I'll be like, got shit signal where I am, text me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, fucking hell, because I'm like that on the phone. Like, uh, Do you uh, think that happens to a lot of people? Like the, because at, at the start, I mean, if if cocaine was 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 weird like that the very first time you'd done it, the chances are you wouldn't go back. But at the start, I remember, you know, you'd have a laugh and a joke with the lads in the kitchen. You'd exchange stories. You'd band, if there's music on, you'd dance. But yeah. then it'd become, it would become less and less fun, more and more dark, and then more and more reclusive mm. until you're, you're well, doing it solo. Well, I think because when you start doing it, it was normally halfway through the night or at the end of the night. It wasn't something you'd start your night off with. So by the time I believe you would have done coke for the first time, you've probably been drinking in a boozer all day. You've gone home, had a fucking drunk shave, gone out and got ready. Like now you're in the club and then you might halfway through the club have a bump or when you get back to the after party then you have it you're so drunk then that little kick comes in that was the enjoyable time i feel because you've gone from being drunk to all like this to oh let me talk because i've been drunk for the last hour what do you want to talk about fucking hell remember seeing star wars last week i've seen all three of them before fucking hell let's do a business together (laughs) they were the great times you know um to an extent but they didn't last long for me because um I suffer with what people think of my looks and then I'll be on the gear and someone's like, God, you look at your nut. And I'm like, thanks, thanks. Now now I think everyone's looking at me. So between Towie and Big Brother? No, so Big Brother was drawing Towie when I slipped off two thousand uh, between episode one and two, I think, or two and three. Ah, so between episodes you've done the Big Brother. Yeah, so I've always been a fan of Big Brother. Loved it. Like, watched it from day one. I'm assuming you couldn't do drugs in Big Brother. No, you can't. You can't do fuck all in that place, man. You can't even... I think you can have a wank. Oh, yeah, the celebrity, we had a a frosted shower. Celebrities are allowed a wank. Yeah, we have a frosted shower. But I think on uh, on the normal one, they used to have... You'd have to put a towel and cover yourself up. But yeah, I didn't even have a wank. took me three days to have a shit. I get right nervous about shitting. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, I'm like, oh, I'm speaking to Frank. You're like, fucking hell, man. I'm going to shit myself. He's like, what's going on? Go toilet. I'm like, no. And then there was a toilet outside in the garden. I was like, everyone's in there. I oh, fancy Georgia. So if she comes out, you fucking tell me because I can't have it stinking of shit. <laughs> anyway, and that was like three days into Big Brother. But anyway, so I've been a big fan of Big Brother, real big fan. And when they asked me, it was, wow. Like, it was such a big thing. Um, I, I got paid a lot of money. I, the money that I got from Big Brother, if I had it, I would have paid Big Brother to go in there. So I got £200,000 for, for going in Big Brother. I think that was 2011, beginning of. Um, and, and when I got chose to do Big Brother, they just said, right, Kirk, we just want you to get in shape for Big Brother. We want you to be the eye candy, Okay. So no worries, I hit the gym really hard. And after where I was being portrayed on Towie, I thought, yes, big brother, man. This is great. Like, Mm. they get to see Kirk being Kirk. I love cleaning. I love cooking. I love having a little cry, heart to heart with the girls and stuff. Great. I probably had really heart to hearts, cleaned the house with the girls, had a little cry, went in the diary room saying, oh, I miss people. I love this person in the house. They're so good. Might have spoke about my cock and shagging birds with Frankie Kokoza for 10 minutes of the day while we're having a little bit of lads banter in the hot tub. That's what they're going to put on now. I didn't know that. Did you get on with everyone? I felt so. 
I felt I got on with everyone. Um, there was there was a girl called Georgia in there, Georgia Salpa, beautiful woman, very nice woman as well. But um, so you get prepped up a little bit before you go in the house, and I got told there was a girl going in for me. Um, I just got told there was a girl called Georgia going in for me. She knows the coup because this is what this is what happens. <clears throat> If you make a relationship in one of these shows, the money you can make off the back of it is phenomenal. Do you know what I mean? Like TV deals, spin-off shows, magazine things. So I got told that the, 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 uh, a friend, uh, my dad knew this manager and he was bringing in, they were bringing in a girl for me. She knew the coup. We'll have a little, little fuck around and like date on the show and then we'll, we'll scrape a bit of money after. Yeah, she didn't get a fucking memo, man. Yeah. So I kept persisting and trying it on this girl because I thought she was just playing hard to get. Yeah, I thought she I got told she knew the deal. She was very attractive. I would have tried to try to pull her anyway, um, even though she was out of my league. But I got told that she, she got put in there for me. Like I, I didn't know what else to do. I'm thinking, what the fuck? Why does she keep turning me away, man? I, I've just got told that we've got to do a thing. Anyway, yeah, but um <clears throat> I got on with everyone in there. Uh, had a couple of little tantrums in there, but again, everyone did. They might not show everyone's. So me and it used to be vote to evict. Vote to evict. If you don't like someone, you ring up and evict them. And this has been going on for years. On our series, they changed it to vote to save. <laughs> so me and Natalie Cassidy, apparently, this is all hearsay. I was in the house, so I don't know. We'll book his favourites to win. And then it was a, a, a surprise nomination and eviction. So I think out of all the housemates, everyone but one was up for eviction. And me and Natalie went out that night and I could hear booze when my, they say my name. Because when, uh, is it Brian, Dowling, I think, when he talks, you can hear the crowd when he talks to the house. And I could hear a couple of booze. I'm so, like, were you the first two to go? Nah, there was a few before. I can't remember the order. Um, and was you shocked when you got... When I got the booze, I'm like, Fuck, I've been, I've been amazing in here. Mm. I actually was excited to get out because I'm like, I have been the true Kirk. Like, I've had a little couple of moments, but so had everyone in the house, okay? So I'd come out to Boozan, equally Boozan cheers. So did Natalie. I'm so surprised she went as well. Me, yeah, I'm quite controversial, but but Natalie, she, I thought she was going to, you know what I mean? She's, you can't hate Natalie Cassidy. Did you have any idea how they were editing the show whilst no. you were in the house? No. We got put straight into a green room. I think Natalie was in a green room next to me and the exec come barge through my door and I can't remember what he said to someone and said, how the fuck are these two out tonight? You fucked the show. And then what I found out is if you're popular on TV or social media, so I was on TOWIE at the time in between, no one's going to ring up to save you because they're like, he's on TOWIE. Everyone's going to vote mm. for him. Don't worry about voting for him. He's safe, you know? Um, people normally pick up the phone to evict. They do more things they hate than they love, don't they? Do you know what I mean? People are negative on Yeah, that you know. So anyway, my manager's then come to see me. He said, fuck, Kirk, what have you done? What? He went, mate, you've lost all your female supporters. What have I done? Just said the way you acted in there. I said, I might have had little lads bit of banter and have a couple of arguments with girls, but all the girls that I might have had arguments... We're all friends, like again. It, literally, have an argument for that hour when you make up after. You know, after, and then uh, what they, how they wanted me to be. When they told me to get into shape, they wanted me to be the eye candy. They didn't. They wanted me to be the player. And no matter what I'd done in there, they will air it in that sense. You know, um, it was very good. It was exciting. 
the amount of work you get off the back of it is great. Um, but you just got to be careful. These people choose this show with their own narrative in their head for you. How did it compare? If you could choose one out of the other that you preferred the experience, Towie or Big Brother? Big Brother. Why was it in there? It was amazing. Mm. It was it was amazing. Like it was so good. It it was phenomenal. I've been a fan. How you see it on TV is how it is in the house. Like it, it's fucking Big Brother. It's crazy. And, no. and when you watched it back, I didn't. I've watched a couple of things. You know what? Uh, they piss me off, right? So when you go in now, when you go in, they say, "Kirk, just give us some do's and don'ts." Um, so I said, listen, I'm open for anything, any sort of task and char- like, you know, challenges, dress me up. We can have a little dance, drink, whatever. Uh, don't, I said, um, I'm like, uh, at the time I didn't know it was dys- uh, dyspraxia. So I said, I'm numerically dyslexic and, you know, and my, and my geography is fucking terrible. So I said, don't embarrass me, please. Cause I quite embarrassed about my geography and my maths and stuff like that. But I said, other than that, I'm yours. You're paying me. I said, let's create some entertainment for you. Uh, my first challenge was I called me into the diary room and they've got a, a, a globe. Yeah, they've got a globe but on it, on it, just as one sheet with a load of pins. Hi, Kirk. To win a party for your task tonight, can you pin use the pin and put it on Australia, please? Listen, I don't know this shit. I promise you. I don't know. I, I was shit in school. I didn't concentrate. I knew what they were doing, man. Mm. The one thing I told you not to do, I said, I will do fucking anything. I'll dress up as a fucking girl to make entertainment for the public. I told you I'm embarrassed. The one thing I asked you not to do, you've got me to do it in front of millions of people. They don't care. That, that is was... sort of the name of the game, humiliation, yeah. car, car crash TV, isn't mm. it? But you know when you tell them you're embarrassed about something? Yeah. Well, for, for them, that's like love. Yeah. I'm embarrassed about saying Stuff like this makes me not feel worthy. Mm. You know what I mean? They don't care, do they? They don't care, do they? You know, they don't care, man. You're just going to increase the ratings the more you embarrass yourself. Yeah, but at the end, a lot, as again, I choose differently now, but the money was great. Oh, fucking yeah. You know what I mean? I was, I was 20, early 20s, 200 bags for two weeks' work. 200 grand in one lump sum. Yeah, well, they give me 17 before I went in, and then the rest when you come out. 17? Before you went in, yeah. I used to go get yourself some clobber and whatnot. I'm not sure if it's the same for everyone else. Some people got paid more, some people got less. I think Michael Madsen got a million dollars. Yeah, it was good money. The money that come after it was good because then you'd probably got a, a month of magazines shoots. Do you know what I mean? So like back then you can do, I think it's different now, I don't know. But say for instance, I've done a photo shoot for a magazine. Took me a day. They pay for your transport, do your makeup, your clothes. I've got 20 grand. Days work. So... The experience on a whole in Big Brother was well and truly worth it. Mm, definitely, yeah. With, mm. with the only way is Essex, we didn't get paid for Series 1. Series 2, I think we got paid 50 or £100 an episode. I actually was minus on one episode. They made me fill my car up with petrol one day. And I was like, do I have to really fill it up? And they're like, yes, it'll look real if you fill it up. It cost me £174. I got paid £100 that day. I was £74 down. <laughs> but then again, you do the PAs in the nightclub. Well, I didn't buy it as much as all the other Towie stars. They were militant. I love my home. I love my own bed. These guys, they were smart. They're like, fuck it, I don't care. I'm going to go all around this country to earn money. I didn't want to, you know, so I get dropped out. And it ruined my drug taking time, truthfully. Was that probably the, the nuts and bolts of it? Yeah. I've done the odd drug on PAs and stuff, but that's, you know. So how long was you in Big Brother for? Two weeks, I think. Two weeks. So two weeks, you're clean. Although mm. they are plying you with booze. Yeah, I don't know how we got drunk because they give you like 20 beers and two bottles and four bottles of wine between everyone, between 10 people. I don't know how the fuck we used to get drunk. Well, because everybody in Big Brother, they, when they get given 
drink, they always look like they're pissed out of their I skull. I don't know how we got drunk. I swear it's a placebo effect as well. Mm. If you go beg them for more, if you're being a bit boring, so you've got to do a little, if you want more drink, just sit there, don't do fuck all after you're drunk. Mm. Even though you're drunk, just like, hold it in, be a good. They'll get bored in a minute. They'll bring us more drink. <laughs> <laughs> so oh. from so fr- from Big Brother, mm. where did you go from there? Yeah, I went back on the tower for a bit. So my last, yeah, I, I don't think you've seen this one. X on the beach, I've done. That was my last TV appearance. Yeah, 2015 was the biggest fuck off of my life. If you want to see a fucking nervous breakdown, watch it. All right, this is interesting. Okay, so so Towie two episodes, then Big Brother, then, then back Towie to Towie for your final episode, yeah. which we've covered Towie. Yeah, and then much. so I was off TV for a bit, living off the money. And taking drugs still? Taking drugs, going mental, bang on the steroids then, addicted to, I, dic- I get addicted to everything I take, so... I was on steroids for like years, no break, a year. I know a lot of people have done it longer, no break, but, you know, I was stacking hard, you know, so I was doing all different kinds of steroids, try a test, te- extra tests, fucking trembolone. Like, it wasn't enough for me, do you know what I mean? Like, I got up to like 16 stone from from like 11 and a half. Well, you look, you look beefy in your front Yeah, well, that was during Towie time. So when I left Towie, then I... Balloon. I, I, yeah, I got, so I think I'm probably like 12 and a half then. I got up to 16 stone. And um, how did steroids play with your emotions? The trim fucked me up. Um, I mean, that's a hardcore steroid to be using. Yeah, that 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 got me. Uh, I always had a short temper, but that that gets you thinking some mad stuff. You know, like did you do oxys the pills? Oxys? No, I never done pills. I used to do a few Anavar, but I fucking used to. I used to get quite a bloated face on Anavar. So you know, and I was like, I need it in me now. Like, fucking give it to me now. But yeah, so I was smashing the steroids, spending all my fucking money, thinking I'm I'm a big boy. Do you know what I mean? I'm on steroids. I've just come off TV. I've got a load of money. Look at me. I was a broken man. Mm. I was a broken man. So X on the Beach had been asking me to go on for ages. But also, but, when you went on X on the Beach, on the outside, you were looking great. Uh, not by the time I actually went on. So, because I kept saying no for ages. They were offering me like what I didn't think was worth for that money. You have to go abroad. And they were asking me for years and they were asking like saying, oh, they're paying five, pay me five grand. I said, tell them 20 and we'll have it. And we got 20. And my manager says, Kirk, this is the most they've paid. You, you be wary now because they're getting their money's worth. So what's the concept of X on the Beach? It's another one I've not seen. There's, so I can't remember the numbers, but say 10 people going on holiday. I knew what show I was going on, but apparently the others, the non-celebrities didn't know what they were going on. So they think they're just going on a dating show. So they're going to Mexico on a dating show. And then they bring all their exes on, you know, so they bring all your exes on halfway through, just stagger them out. And obviously by that time you might have met another girl there and man. So I was on steroids heavily and Coke heavily every day. Was you, did you manage to sneak drugs onto X on the nah, beach? No, so I, I took my PCT. Yeah. Yeah. I took that with me because I needed that. Um, and I took some Valium with me as well. Did they know you, you had your post-course therapy in Valium with you? Well, yeah. So when when they, they they when you're just about to go into the villa, you've got a hotel before and the security comes and checks all your stuff. I completely forgot I had the Valium to Bonnie, so I know I had the PC in. They said, oh, what's this? I said, oh, see them Valium. I said, you can fuck them off. But I said, the PC better. I said, I need one of them a day. Yeah. And they said, well, you can't take them in there. I said, I need them. Anyway, so they said, we'll give them to you daily. I was in the villa for about three days and they've come up to me and said, uh, go, man, you got got to do something else you're not entertaining I was like I just don't feel it I'm so sorry I just felt maybe jet lagged or saying it was in Mexico or shit 
I'll tell you what I'm enjoying. But when I got home, I'd realised that the Valium was empty and the PCT was full. No. They were giving me fucking Valium rather than PCT. <laughs> so I told them, by the way, to not let me drink on that show. I said, do not let me fucking drink because I am an Aggie drunk and I choose throughout my life not to drink because I am a fucking horrible person who I try to avoid. Do you know what I mean? I think that's a smart thing. If I don't like who I become when I drink, don't drink. No, 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 don't worry, we will, we will. I said, by the way, I'm entertaining when I don't drink. You know, I said, you've paid me good, I'll give you gold. I've had some exes in there causing shit and I've called shit myself out there and fucking, I think on am halfway through it, I fucking, I broke, they fucking opened a set of patio doors and they didn't put no stairs out there. <laughs> I fucking went down about four foot, fucking snapped on my tendon on my foot. That's going to hospital, put on crutches. And that was, you done that sober? I think they was drunk, so they kept giving me drink like, ah. every day, right? Every every time at night, echo they give you, uh, I can't remember bottles of beer or filling it up in a glass, but they, they always got a jug of tequila as well. And they're like, echo have a shot of tequila. So you got to think, I've been doing steroids and coke for years. I've now gone in there cold turkey. So I'm not on, I've come down from the steroids and I come down from the coke and now I'm being supplied booze. So that's, I'm down, 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 down. Hmm. And I can't remember what happened. And I had the biggest, I, I honestly think I had a mental breakdown on that show. They brought someone in, I fucking told her I loved her, I don't fucking love her, I was drunk as a fucking skunk. <laughs> drunk as a, oh, I love you. And then I see her go kissing another boy. I didn't love her, I wasn't with her. She could kiss another boy, but I was drunk. Don't make me get drunk because I don't like it. I'm very emotional and aggressive when I'm drunk. And I kicked her off i smashed this villa up because that's what i had to do i felt i couldn't hit no one i broke both my hands i had a broken foot at the time stupidly they carted me straight off security guards beat me up i didn't i ain't told no one this as well i ain't told no one this i knew it was my out as well so a nice 20 bags to have a little holiday i thought i could handle it but i hadn't been off drugs for so long so obviously i might have handled it if i could have a little bump now and then or not ever done steroids or carried on with my steroids or my PCT. At least the PCT, yeah. You know what I mean? You've got to think my hormones, well, you, I don't know if no one's ever, if you've ever done a course and not done PCT, you're rebalancing yourself again. You're going through puberty all again, but in, in, in a small amount of time. Mm. Puberty spans over a few couple of years, doesn't it? Mm. It's like, fuck me, I'm one minute I'm crying and I want to fight. Yeah, all it yeah. takes is a, is, a sad, is a sad song and you're gone. That's it, man. And, and uh, you've got to think you're bringing out multiple my exes. Uh, they made me have sex on the show. They didn't. When I say they make me, so just before I went on the show, like days before, I met an ex at a restaurant. I was I was out having a meal, and I met one of my exes. That's my now daughter's mother. So we hit it off straight away. We hadn't seen each other in years. I was like, oh, fucking hell, I ain't seen you in ages. We hit off straight away. So literally, I come and see her the next day after I met her in the restaurant, and said, "Listen, I've got to go film a show, but I've got to be single." And she went, no, no, no. We're like probably talking for about four days now. I said, next week I've got to go to Mexico and film the show, but I've got to be single for it. That's that's why they give me big money. We were very close when we were 18. And when we see each other, it just sparks it all back up again. So, but, but basically we were seeing each other. So when I see her up to the restaurant, up until the day I went on holiday, we were with each other every day. So I'm like, fuck, I don't want to lose this girl because she's a good one. But the show, the show's paid me good money for to be single. I'm, I'm against contracts. I'll sign a contract and everything, and they're gospel on their contract. So I'm in the swimming pool. I said, "Fucking so and so keeps putting it on me. I, I've got a girlfriend." 
fucking, I can't even remember this blonde bird's name on the production. She's come out. Kirk, out now. What? Get out. And she'd pull me out. Did you got a girlfriend? I said, no. She said, Kirk, we're listening to you. No, no well, I haven't got a girlfriend. I said, I've just, just met an ex. I started seeing him. And they said, yeah, but you just said to Jordan, you're only going to kiss a girl. Like, you're only going to chat up a girl, not kiss a girl. I said, I'm having sex. And she said, well, listen, you either have sex with so-and-so tonight or you're off the show and you won't get your money because you're against contracts. By the way, I was very money-orientated then. Um, so, all right, I'll have sex. And they said, look, she already said that she wants sex with you. I have sex with her. I didn't want sex with I didn't want sex with anyone on TV. Not this person. She was a nice girl. I didn't want sex with anyone on TV. You know, I understand. And they said, and I was legally against contracts. They could have took me home straight away and I wouldn't get no money. You understand? That was my last, I think that was my last job opportunity on TV. No one wanted me because I was a bit aggy on Towie. So not many people wanted me. I weren't getting all the panel shows like all the other cast members were. Uh, who was the girl that you had sex with? I don't, I don't think she likes me. I don't even want to say her name. <laughs> but people can find out on YouTube. Oh, yeah, yeah. You just Google Kirk having sex for about four minutes. <laughs> <laughs> That was four players as well. I was, listen, I was drunk every night then. And I hate being drunk. I hate not being in control. You know, when you're on Coke, you're in control. Like, I don't know if you know, you're in, you're in control of being on, when you're on Coke to an extent. You're obviously all over the place, but. It certainly gives you the illusion you're under control. Yes. No, but you can, you can maintain things. You could walk, you can pick up. You can ride a bike and stuff. Do you know what I mean? You're unlikely to put a brick through a shop front window on Coke, but on booze, you yeah. probably would do it. Yeah, because you're drunk. Yeah. You know what I mean? But uh, So anyway, I remember when they kicked me off and said, right, you're in the other villa tonight and you're, you're off the show. I said, yeah, good. I don't want to be here. I said, give me my phone now. They said, no, you can have your phone tomorrow. They take all your stuff in a jiffy bag because you're not allowed your phone on next on the beach. Like, big brother. I said, give me my phone. If I'm off the show, give me my phone now. I've got two broken hands, right? My hands were fucking swollen. I was like, listen, I need to go to hospital. They wouldn't let me go to hospital either. They said, no, you, you can go to hospital tomorrow. I said, you do not understand. I said, listen, I'm drunk and I'm in pain. A lot of pain. And I'm really drunk. I shouldn't be in this much pain. So anyway, you got to think, two days ago, I've snapped my tendon on my foot. So I'm on crutches with two broken hands, <laughs> which is hard. I was like, listen, it's about a fucking half a mile long the driveway to these villas, by the way. I said, right, you either give me my phone or I will walk until I can find a payphone. He said, Kurt, you're not allowed to leave the villa and you know this. So we had lovely security guards there, big fuckers, but always really nice to me. You know, when I'd have enough of filming, I'd stand behind the cameras and be like, you all right, lads, how you doing? As I started walking away, drunk. You know them drunks? Fuck off then, I'll walk. You know, like fucking uh, uh, your partner might be or you might be if you have an argument with your partner. No, go on, I'm going on my own. So they said, Kirk, stop, we're going to have to stop you. I said, do what you want. The easiest way to stop this is just give me my phone. I just want my phone to ring my, ring my friends and family. Stop walking, Kirk. So I tried to wobble along with me crutches and me broken hand. I've heard some. And then literally I've been body slammed to the floor, flung in a ditch. Two, mate, they've got to be minimum of 16 stone each. Minimum pounded me to the floor. One of them digging me in the fucking ribs. So, mate, you, this, I can't do fuck all right now. Like I've got two big geezers on me. And my crutches, where they'd body slammed me, my crutches pretty much stayed where I am. And I can't remember what their governor was called, the door, the security team, but their, their boss was really nice. I said, go and get fucking thingy. I'm buckled up on the floor, right? I'm laying on the floor in a ditch at nighttime, drunk, broken hands, broken foot. It was probably 20 minutes, 10 minutes. It felt like I was in that ditch for an hour. They wouldn't even, I said, can you pass me my crutches, please? No. 
I said, you's a fuck. You know when you are when you're drunk. I said, you's a fuck when we get back home. What am I going to do? <laughs> what am I going to do? Was, Did you say I know where you all live? Yeah, I know. Yeah, <laughs> you know who I am. You know so and so. Yeah, but I was just drunk, talking drunk shit. But uh, when he come, I said, listen, this ain't fucking on. Your door team just weighed the fuck out of me, mate. You know, all I wanted was my phone. But anyway, took me off the show. I got to fly home, met that girl again. And uh, told her, I said, listen, I had sex with a girl on now. She went, well, it's over. This was my job. I was going out. Like, and she knew that I was going on a show that I'd have to be single. But anyway, but anyway, we ended up getting with each other. She forgave you? Yeah, she forgave me. Well, she, she might have had ulterior motives. But so when we was 18 and was with each other, she had no children. Now, this time that we met, she had had a daughter. This time, lovely girl. We got really close real quick. You know what? I was like, I can't, I've always wanted a child. And I felt like, oh man, this is a family for me. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, we got real close, real quick. She lived in Kent. I lived in Essex. She didn't really want to come over to Kent much, uh, Essex much, but it was only a 22 minute drive. So I used to go over all the time. Weren't doing TV work. After my ex on the beach appearance, no one wanted me on. But I had a bit of money. Do you know what I mean? Could still do the odd magazine thing. So I was still current-ish. So could still do the odd deal. Nick, five, ten grand here and there and whatnot. By the way, anything I say on this podcast, I ain't blaming anyone other than me. My actions were from me. You know what I mean? But every action gets a reaction. Do you know what I mean? So I never, I never act on nothing. But anyway, so we got really close. She never wanted any more children, Holly, because she gets really sick during pregnancy. Um, so she she had a coil and everything, um, but she knew I always wanted a child and she didn't want to lose the relationship because I would say, look, Holly, I can't be with you because I want to I want to have my own child as well as yours. I, I want to have... So she's amazing. She removed the coil. Um, we were trying to get her pregnant. I wasn't getting her pregnant at first, which was quite, quite hard. Our, our, our first child was a miscarriage, but still upsetting, but very early on. Anyway, we had a cry and have another go. And I love this girl, man. Like, you wouldn't believe. Like, at this time of my life, and only up until recent events over the last couple of years, this girl was fucking everything. And I would have done anything and done anything to anyone to be with this girl for the rest of my life. And her daughter, you know. So anyway, she got pregnant. I proposed to her. And were you still using drugs throughout the entire romance? No, I could go out one night on a club. So when I was with her, it rained it real back in for me. So love was the new drug? Not not just love, with her. Mm. This was the girl I wanted to spend the rest of my life with. Personality, attitude, looks. Just, you know, a lot of people were telling me different. The love of your life? Yeah, at this Still. time. No, I tell you, yeah, so this, this shit changed quick. So when she got pregnant, I proposed to her. Obviously, we were going to get married. She would have my surname. Then if she had my, when she had my daughter, my daughter would have my surname and we didn't want my stepdaughter say let's say stepdaughter her daughter to be left out so I, we were talking about i adopt so we've all got the same name so we don't get left out it was amazing amazing my money started wearing thin by this time because you're not working mm, i was doing the odd promotion tweets clothes and you know getting a grand couple of grand probably good money to people but for the lifestyle that i stupidly enough put me in it wasn't so she has a lovely house, but it's a two-bedroom house, and she already has a daughter, and we were about to have another child, you know. I had a, a bigger house, four bedrooms, so it made sense for Holly to move in with me, but she wouldn't do this anyway. 
She went, she went, I'm moving to Essex. I was like, it's 22 minutes. She went, can you not buy a house in Essex, uh, in Kent? I said, I haven't got the money to buy a house. Like, and she went, well, well, I've had a quote for a loft extension on here for like 50 grand. I said, I haven't got 50 grand. Anyway, that was that. A couple of weeks later, she was a bit off with me indoors. I thought she's pregnant. My brother always told me, for nine months when your partner's pregnant, you're right, she, you're wrong, she's right. So she was a little bit off with me and I had to go pick my dog up from Essex. So I left hers and she rings me up. She goes, you're right. She said, what's up? Do you want me to come back? She went, no, 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 don't come back. I said, like, what? She went, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's not right at the moment. I just left this woman's house, by the way. We're recently engaged and she's recently pregnant and we're recently about talking about adopting our other her daughter. So we're all the same. She went, yeah, I want to, I think we should have a break. Stop the car. I said, Holly, I'm coming back, man. What, what do you mean? You want a break? What's, what's, what have I just done? Tell me. What, like, tell me what I've done. No, 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 no. I think we just need a break. I said, listen, we're not kids. You have just accepted my hand in marriage. You have just removed your ch- coil so we can have a child together. You don't decide now you want a break after doing that. She went, I said, listen, Holly. I said, we're adults. We need to talk now. I said, let me come back. She went, don't ruin it and come back, Kirk. She says, listen. I said, well, I'm going to make this easier for you. There are two answers to this, Holly. If you don't give me the one I want, I'm going to take it for the opposite. Do you want to be with me? Yes or no? That's all you've got to say. And she went, I just want a break. I said, Holly, I'm going to take that as a no. I said, I can't do this if you're going to be this far into a relationship and do this to me. This is scary shit, man. I'm about to stop my whole life for you and your daughters and our daughters and make a whole family. And I said, I'm going to take that as a no then. If you can't give me a yes, it's a no. What, I don't know. What do you think? Am I wrong? It's speaks volumes. It it's, it's a bit like no response is a response. Mm. She doesn't, she hasn't quite, she hasn't, she hasn't quite got the courage to say. Yeah. That's why I, that's how I accepted it. Right. So I said, if you're not saying yes, that's how I would take yeah, it. Yeah. If you're not saying yes, you don't want to be with me and you just ain't got a fucking heart to tell me, Holly, you know? And, and then we got into a bit of an argument and then, um, and then what happened? Yeah. Just, I just went on a bit of a drug bend for a couple of days and then she wanted nothing to do with me. Yeah, she just blocks my phone number. Won't talk to me. I'm trying to ring her up um, to see how she's pregnant at this time. My fucking first child. She blocked my number. Uh, I managed to get through to her once. I can't remember how, if it was on Instagram or something. I said, Holly, if you don't answer, we're going to have to come round. Fucking, we're engaged. I love you. You've got our children. <laughs> You've got our children. You're burying my child. And she said, if you come to my house, I'll call the police. And I told my dad that. And he said, Kirk, Listen, any man that turns up to a house and the women are called the police, you're getting nicked straight away, even if you've done nothing, Kirk. Do you know what I mean? He said, just stay away. Let it all sort out. Uh, yeah, then she just blocked me on everything. I couldn't get through to her at all. I went on a fucking nutty one. Uh, I got diagnosed with depression. I didn't know how my, my unborn child was. I didn't know how my fiancé was. I got into a bit of recluse, locked myself in my house. So when she called and said, I'd like a break... Was she, that was that it then? Mm, that was it. Yeah, she blocked my number. I wish I'd, I wish I'd done something wrong so I could either bollock myself or learn from it. She never gave me a reason. Never give me a reason to this day. Yeah, like so. Christmas, I was just moping around over Christmas. Thought I'd have a Christmas with my pregnant fiance and, and my stepdaughter. And then, um, just January, still heard nothing. Just 
just sniffing myself stupid every day, sleeping tablets a night, sniffing the day, sometimes both. Was that was th- this breakup? Was this the point where things got real bad? That was it. Every day, every day, sniff to fucking stay awake, sleeping tablets to go to sleep, because it was the only thing to shut my head up. Because most of my things that I fucked up in life, I know why. This was the best thing that had ever happened to me. It had been ripped away from me, and I don't know what I'd done wrong, Liam. So February come, my dad threw a stone up my window. I opened my window. What's up? He's like, get out of bed. Your daughter's been born three days ago. I went, what? I mean, how do you know? He went, Holly's just rung me. She rings my dad, so I'll tell you more about it. She rings my dad to inform my dad stuff. My dad's the money man, you know? All right, so he ring her. I said, I've been ringing her for months, Dad. She blocked me. She told me she'll get the police if I go to her house. He said, just ring her. I rung her. It was unblocked. I said, hello, Holly. So we were going to call my child Sophia. Sophia, I didn't choose a middle name, but Sophia Norcross. So I ring up Holly now. I'm, I'm, I feel nervous. Hello. So, all right. So, how is everything? What's happened? Like, are, are you in the hospital now? She's like, no, you, your daughter was born on the 9th. Like, it was days ago. So I was everything all right? Like, I said, yeah, I was like, uh, she was healthy, wait, all right? Yeah, I said, can, I, can I come see her? So she went, yeah, come around tomorrow. Went around there tomorrow. And uh, and I was like, felt like a guest. The house that I used to pretty much live in, live in I, she opened the door and I was, so I was like, well, if I come in? She's like, she's like, she's like got no issue. Yeah, come in. Like nothing's happened. Like nothing's happened, man. Like, yeah, come in. And how many months had it, had it been? I can't really remember. Probably about, I think that six, she was about six months pregnant when she split up with me. So if it's the, if it's the, the normal nine months, you've, you've been, you spent the last three months um, on drugs every single not day. Not knowing if my daughter's alive, miscarriage, been born. Anyway, as I've creeped up my, there's a baby Moses basket and, uh, she's like, yeah, go, go, go see Violet. Huh? Violet's there. What was it? Thought he was calling her Sophia. Yeah, I've changed it. I went, Violet Norcross. She went, no, Violet Willis. I went, all right. I said, do I have to sign anything? And that she went, I haven't put you on the birth certificate. Is that, I think, I've, I, someone told me I could be wrong, but that's illegal if you know the father and you choose not to put him on the birth certificate if he hasn't done anything wrong. I don't know. But anyway, she chose not to put me on there. I felt like a right guest. But the second I see my, my fiance again, I'm, I'm madly in love with her. You know, like, so I said, well, what's, what's the plan? Like, and she said, yeah, come around, come around, come around whenever you want. So I was coming around, but she didn't want her other daughter to see me because she said she was upset when I went. I said, I didn't go. I didn't choose to go, by the way. This is, you, you, you was done with me. I haven't done anything wrong. Um, so I had to come in during times when her daughter was at school. Three days in, she went, I need some money, Kirk. She went, your daughter's costing me money. I, I paid, but I was like, how the fuck has this, this, this newborn affected you in three days? Like, she went, I need gas money, electric money. At this time, all I was getting is £800 a month from some uh, an Insta uh, promo that I used to do. That's all I was on, £800 a month. I said, listen, you can have half of anything I get. I said, I'm earning £800 a month at the moment. You can have half of that. Yeah. And she sort of turned her nose up a bit. I said, look, if I get more, you can have more. But if I get less, you're going to have to have just half. You're going to have half of what I get. When when you went back to the house and you felt like a guest and, you, and she said, you can come around whenever you like, was it 
back to romantic no levels. so i tried um, no, no sex no so yeah so i was coming around and then i said is it okay if i um take violet see my mum no you ain't taking her what my daughter you're not taking her kirk i said all right my mum would like to see her first granddaughter well, you're not taking her and your mum's not coming to the house. She didn't like my mum because during the time that Holly wasn't talking to me and blocked my number, Holly had a baby shower. She invited my mother, but my mum is currently sitting with me because I didn't want to be here no more because I was on depressant, antidepressants. So I asked my mum not to go and she now hates my mum because of that. I invited your mum to my baby shower and she didn't come. She can fuck off. I'm like... <laughs> My mum was taking me to the dogs was worrying about if I fucking make it through Christmas, truthfully. You know what I mean? I've just mm. lost my world. Not only has my career just gone down the pan, um, you know, my, my life, my family's gone. For about four months, I was trying it on with Holly, just saying, like, please, like, either tell me what I've done wrong so I know, so I can apologise or learn, or let's get back with each other. If nothing's happened, we should be where we were. And she looked dead in my eye. I said, Kirk, I ain't getting back with you. Stop making it awkward or you won't be able to come around. That was like a knife stuck in my heart and stomach at the same time. She actually said it to me. Mm. I am not getting back with you. Stop it. And I literally walked straight out the door. I went bang on the gear. Messaged the girl that I used to knock boots with now and then. Met up that night. Had sex. Nine months later, she gave birth to my son. I told Holly. Holly went fucking batshit crazy, posting on Twitter. Because I, I took Danielle out for a meal. Me and Danielle wasn't with each other. We, choked, we She had my child. It was a one-night stand. We knew this. It was the best thing that could ever happen, by the way. My son that I've got out of this is, anyone that knows me knows that, wow, like, I would never change anything about that day, that night. Even though Holly, the love of my life, said she didn't want to be with me, I went on a complete drug fucking bend. And I, you know, I'd done what I'd done. I got my son out of it. And wow, what a reward. Um, so anyway, I told Holly. But yeah, I took Danielle out for a meal while she was pregnant because Holly wasn't letting me see how this what happened. So Holly said to me, I was still going around. So I didn't obviously know that I got this girl pregnant. It was a one night stand. I carried on going to see my daughter. She went, if you want to keep seeing your daughter, you've got to give me more money. And I said, Holly, I haven't got no more money. I mean, I was on my ass. No work. So anyway, she said, if you want to see your daughter, if you, need, if you want to carry on seeing your daughter, give me more money. I said, I haven't got no more money. She looked at me and went, well, that's your answer then. So, yeah, still seeing my daughter. Still not allowed. I'm not allowed to take my daughter anywhere. Um, yeah, I'm not allowed to take my daughter to see my mum. And then I posted a picture on Twitter. Uh, dinner for free, I think it was. Me, my date, and Bump. I was saying like the post. Everyone has messaged Holly. Congratulations on your baby, new baby already. She's now gone into a big old Twitter war. Uh, just to let everyone know, it isn't my child. Kirk left us and got another girl pregnant. What? No, I didn't. Now, any people hearing that a man has left a woman... And gone and got a girl pregnant. I'm a fucking horrible bastard, Liam. I didn't leave when my daughter was four months old. Holly split up with me when she was six months pregnant. Mm. Over half a year I'd been single when I had sex with someone. She just fucking blocks me. Couldn't get anything. I spoke to a few solicitors. 
Um, at that point, I got no money. So to do anything, first of all, we needed to get me on the birth certificate, which was going to be a huge battle. And muscle is at Sandcut. This is anything from four to ten thousand pounds just to get you on this birth certificate. I just had to stay away from it. Right? It sounds horrible. I've got a son that's about to be born. This I was at my son's birth, and I got to hold my son first. And then when I give my son to Danielle, I just see two young people, and I thought, I don't think either of us could do it on our own. And I said, Do you want to come back with me, Danielle? Back to my house. Because we wasn't planning to be an item. And she went, yeah. And she came back to my house. We had to stay in hospital for 11 hours after Harry's birth, but we went straight back to my home. Holly had blocked me. I still text Holly every single day. And I used to upload that on social media to the people thinking I'm horrible. What can I do? I'm ringing, texting, emailing. I think I was even doing on old Facebook pages and Bebo pages. I was fucking messaging her everywhere. Like, what have I got to do? Like, I'm a bad man. She, she. It's like she used this. It's the minute she found out there was a, I got a girl pregnant. Yes, I never had a reason why I didn't want to be with him. I heard through friends who knew her before I knew her that maybe she thought that I had my dad's money. I don't know. The minute she's got, it's so weird that the minute she gets pregnant, she fucks me off. You know, understand? I'm bearing an awkward now. Fuck off. And she only ever used to com communicate with my dad, not me, not not my mum. She took she took my daughter to see my dad without me knowing, um, not my mum. She used to text my dad all the time, pictures of Violet, let him know, hi Mick, just to let you know we're back from Barbados. Um, when my dad died, I get a random call, a text from Holly after fucking years. Hi, how are you? I hope you're okay. Like, I'm, you know, we're always here when you want when we want to chat. You know, I'm always, I've always been here if you ever need a chat. She has blocked me for the last two and a half, three years. Never let me know my daughter is. Told everyone on social media that I cheated on her and I left her for another woman. I didn't know I was a very single man that was madly in love but very hurt at the same time. So I've rung her straight up after that text. Holly, thank you so much for that text. Every time this girl used to get in communication with me, I felt str I'm like, I'll, I'll do anything for you. She had you under the spell. Every, oh, mate. She could say one thing, even a reading of a mannerism on her text. Um, mm. What do you need? I will do it. Fucking. And uh, she said, yeah, we're always here to talk. And I said, I want to see you. And she blanks me again. And then not last October, October before, randomly got a text again. So this is probably about a year after my dad's death. Random message at 11 o'clock at night. How are you? I was like, you sure you messaged the right person? She said, yes, Kirk, how are you? I rung her straight up. Oh my God, babe. Fuck. Right, what are you up to? I'm moking around. I said, well, it's been a while. Do you want to come around? Because we're like friends every time we talk. And she went, yeah, all right then. 11.30 at night. She come around. We didn't do nothing at all. I said, I said, well, I've, I've seen a girl, I've, it's, it's sort of over, do you know what I mean? I said, I just want to see my daughter. And she said, look, you can come around, but look, you can't. I said, like, she's a, she's a observant now, like, what? who do we say I am? She went, well, your mummy's friend, aren't you? So I started seeing Violet for a little bit. And then I said, listen, when, when, when can she start calling me dad? I'm her dad. She needs to, not even that I've lost a daughter, she needs to know that she's got a dad. She went, Kirk, I'll tell you what, it will naturally happen. When she calls you dad, we'll leave it as that. 
And I thought, you know what? I don't even want to argue with Holly because if you don't go with what she says, she just cuts you straight off. I said, I'm fine with that. Funny enough, two days later, Violet's run up and said, Daddy, and jumped and cuddled me. And man, oh, I started tearing up my eyes. My firstborn daughter, she's four years old. She just called me dad. And I was like, I looked at Holly. I went, did you tell her? She went, no. And I thought, well, that's the, what we've been waiting for, for it to naturally happen. Um, and then she was, Daddy, Daddy, come in here, come in here. Went to pull me. And she called me Daddy again. And Holly went, Violet, you're going to make your sister upset. Stop saying that. I went, are you fucking serious? So just to put her other daughter, she'd done the same thing with that man that she'd done with me. She fucked him off and he's not allowed to see the child. Bit of a pattern, isn't it? Bit of a narcissistic pattern. Yeah. yeah. So I broke my heart and I was about to kick off. I said, Violet, come here. Give me a cuddle and a kiss. I've got to go. I've just got to quickly go to work. I literally walked in the door. I said, you're a fucking horrible person. Horrible person. I've done everything you have asked. My daughter has called me daddy for the first time and you've stopped her just because you deprived her other daughter of having a dad. So she can't have someone to call dad. Anyway. She sounds like she kept you hanging for years. Mm. Hanging, oh, yeah. Hanging on hanging for on, years. Mate, hang, definitely hanging on, right? And knew just when to pull you back in. She knew it. Did she want me back? Did she want no one else to have me? But she, she don't want me, but no one else can. I don't know. Does she smell inheritance? I think so. I think so. And I, I've kept asking through the through like the, the, the different chapters, mm. Towie, the ex on the beach, Big Brother, because I'm, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people will be curious that you use drugs and how you was able to function through these sort of monumental events. You did have a, a cocaine addiction. Yeah. You did hit it real hard. Real hard. And then... You cleaned yourself up mm. and you went straight. Kudos to you for that because that's no easy feat, especially when you're, seems like you're constantly bouncing back from another blow. Yeah, always. Um, Danielle, my son's mum, sort of got the brunt of that, really. So when Holly done this to me from the day one, from day of splitting up, that's when my drugs went mad. Mm. And I stayed with Danielle from the day my son was born until he was two and a half. So from out that time, she either see me out of my face or didn't see me. I literally spent two and a half years sniffing all day. When she'd come down with Harry, I'd go upstairs, take a sleep and tell her to go to bed. What kind of man was I? I just couldn't face life though. So yeah, that, 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 that I, I just, I just had to rush to the GP and they pointed me in the way of CA cocaine anonymous. And, um, yeah, when I become sober, it's not that I wanted a new life. I become sober and I realized that me and Danielle was not great, compatible together. The reason we probably went two and a half years is because I wasn't in and I let her just look after Harry or Mother Harry. You know, horrible of me. I took him out and treated him and stuff, you know, but drugs come first. Like You're never really present when you're on drugs. Never, never, never. So I'm out when I'm on drugs, but when I'm come back and I'm either down or up, I'm not there. And uh, I get a random phone call. So Holly's all over me, by the way, talking about re-engagements and stuff, telling me that she either sold or threw the old engagement a ring and she'd like me to buy her another one. Is this after your dad's passing? Yeah, this is after my dad. So it's a bit weird, actually, that all these years, you know, now dad's dead and she's back on the scene. But she was all over me, telling me she likes me and telling me, like, what we could have done to work on our relationship previously and ready to go again. And I was like, so excited. 
I'm going to get my daughter back. I loved Holly and, and, and this is, I have loved Holly from the day I met her up until this story I'm about to tell you that happened like just over a, maybe two years ago. She's telling me that she's never been with anyone since me. Yeah. Which I think is hard to believe, but stupidly, I will believe anything that woman tells me. She said, okay, I haven't been with anyone since you. I can't be with anyone since you. Like romantically, sex, I'm saying. So I'm thinking, really, was I that good? You can't, <laughs> I just believed anything she said. Anyway, right, so I'm still seeing my daughter. Still, Holly's like talking about like fucking um, engagement rings and rah, Some random number rings me up and I answer it. Hello, some woman. Uh, Is this Kirk? I said, yeah. I said, I listen, you don't know me. It's so-and-so. Have you got, is, have you got a daughter with with a woman called Holly and, and said her surname? I said, yeah, why? She went, well, have you got her number? Because she's with my, she's with my fiance. I said, no, no, no. She, me and Holly have just got back. We, like we're getting back with each other. She, <laughs> she said, no, you're not. She's with, she's with my pal. She's with my fiance. Like, so what's your fiance's name? I thought it was a load of shit. I always get calls like this. Whatever his name is, she tells me, yeah? So I text her and said, hey, listen, do you know this fella? And she just tried to ring me straight away. And I was in the hospital. I said, just text me. She's like, ring again. I was ending it. Just, I'm in the hospital, babe. Just ring me. Do you, this silly girl's telling me about you're with this fella. So I rung her up. I answered it. Are you with this fella? Like laughing. She went, yeah. I've just had sex with you, right? She went, Kirk, don't start. I said, listen, you are fucked. You are fucked. All these years that you have put me on social media that I'm this bad man. I said, I know this is petty, but I am going straight to social media to try and tell people what you really like. Because for ages, you've betrayed me that I cheated on you and left you stranded with a child and never give you no money. She, you know, we've tried to give her more money before as well. Like my dad would say, yeah, give a little bit, but she wouldn't accept bank transfer because she said it affects her benefits. Mm. Um, she only wanted cash. And I said, I can't carry on doing that. I've got no proof. Um, by the way, she's on benefit. She hasn't worked since she's 15. She's got a Range Rover. She's got a Cartier watch, Rolex watch, goes on holiday skiing every year, Barbados every year, goes to the Rock Cars, her favorite restaurant, probably goes there once a month. I graft my ass off. I haven't got them and I can't do that, by the way. But she's on benefits. Hmm. Like, it's fucking mad. Uh, she told me, she said, it's cheaper to be on benefits than work. I said, depends what job you get, <laughs> you know? But anyway, so she told me she's with this fella. And I was like, right, what the fuck is going on? She's like, yeah, I'm with him. You have just, like, my head's gone again. You have just told me you love me again. You've just introduced me to my daughter again. You've just fucked me, right? And now you're telling me you're with some guy. Anyway, so this girl's warning me that he was violent. She said, Kirk, I don't know this girl, but she went, he just, he's just, I'm going to send you pictures. He broke my, like, he was with her kids, like, busted her up or whatnot. Do you know what I mean? I don't know if it's true or false, but she said, Kirk, she's going to let you know if your daughter's in this house, he battered me. So I've put it on social media and said, just to let everyone know, and I shouldn't have took it to social media, but I've been painted a villain for too long, Liam. And I said, just to let everyone know that me, this person, I told them the story and said, so I've been around her house. I've had sex with her recently to be told that she's actually in a relationship with someone. And the geezer's round there with my daughter. I have a guy called Billy message me. I say, Kirk, I'm so sorry. I didn't know you was with Holly again. By the way, the boy that I got told that she was with, that Holly admitted, weren't called Billy. I went, no, mate, it ain't you. Here it is. He said, this is your daughter. 
This is what her name is, uh, Holly's name. This is your stepdaughter's name. I've been going around there, like, we've, we've been seeing each other and having sex for months. He's told me things that only he would know if he's done it. The fuck, man? I've done this message thinking it was another fella, which it is. You've come out of the woodwork, so she's doing me, the fella that she's actually in a relationship, and with this Billy fella who turned out to be a lovely guy. It's a cook. Like, yeah, she, she, like, she told me she was single or whatever. So she blocks me instantly. I rung her up, and she must have been with her mother. I rung her up. I said, are you fucking joking? I said, this guy, Billy, this other guy that you're with, and me. I said, and I'm the fucking bad guy. I said, all of these two geezers have been in my daughter's house, living with my fucking daughter. Yeah? I said, have you got no respect? Or, and she went, I said, you fucked me two days ago. Yeah? Two days ago, you told me you would like another engagement ring. Block my number. Block my number. Fucking blocked it. And then someone rung me up and said, Kirk, read this article in a local newspaper. Um, the guy that she's with, she's living with, he's living with my missus, uh, sorry, my missus, Holly, and my daughter. Uh, police raided the house, found drugs, tasers, money. My daughter's mum got arrested. He got arrested and reminded. She got released on bail. And I'm the villain. And her trying to reel you in whilst you're grieving for your dad, knowing the damage she's going to cause you, is fucking, that's an ugly thing to do to another human. All my mates said it was money, Kirk. It was fucking money, mate. Listen, they could see it. When you was at your biggest, she loved you more. When you went at your lowest, she only wanted to be around you a couple of days a week. When you earned a bit of dough again, she's come back. She boom, 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 boom. Money, power and control. Mm. Sounds like that's her, her driving force. You know what I mean? Yeah, but apparently she's waiting for this guy. He's in prison. She's pretty much in love, engaged apparently as well. Um, and so when he comes out of prison, apparently he's saying his first turn in prison either. Um, you know, he's been in prison multiple times for multiple things. Um, and he's the one that's going to be my daughter's role model as a, as a male. Well, the sounds of things I make, that could, that could quite easily change the way she uh, goes through them. Mm. So let's go back to the month before January 2021, mm -hmm. when your dad passed. Yeah. What was the build-up to that that moment like? Um, Did you sense anything different? No, but looking back now that he's killed himself, fucking should have. Yeah, should have. The was, signs were there. Really? My dad was very proud. Wake up, have a shower, put jeans and a shirt and a jumper on. Leading up to that, man, he's putting fucking tracksuit bottoms on, not even leaving the house. Because he had building sites going on. He had all developments going on around our farm that he was involved in. Other people were doing them. Um, yeah, he just wouldn't leave the fucking house. Like, lost a lot of weight. We didn't notice. When you're diabetic and you get older, you naturally lose weight as you get older. But even one of my brother's mates said, your dad's lost a lot of weight. And then now looking back at it, my dad used to have a lovely ass. Like, he had a big ass, you know what I mean? Like, like firm ass. And I remember actually after his death thinking, I kept seeing dad pull his jeans up. His ass was just flat. Do you know what I mean? But what I found out after my father's death really hurt me. Really hurt me. So my dad killed himself. We'll go into that in a minute. So my dad killed himself January 2021 on a Thursday. But in the November prior to that, my dad was diabetic. He gave himself an insulin overdose. He tried to kill himself. 
and you didn't know this? No, he regretted it straight away, told his girlfriend, took himself to hospital and said, I've tried to kill myself, I regret it. And only at the hospital let him check himself out that night. He said, I'm okay now, can I go? Yeah, go on. The man's just come in and said he tried to kill himself with insulin and they let him out once his blood levels are at level again. Look, I'm not saying that my dad will still be here, okay? Because that would be harsh on the person that didn't know that my dad killed, tried to kill himself. But his partner knew. He told his partner, I would fucking handcuff myself to that man and he would be locked up in wall 12 or I would, I had money then. He would be fucking dropped off to a rehab, a secure rehab where you can't leave, can't get anything. You think someone's going to come and tell you to try to kill yourself and you're like, I won't tell no one. I won't do nothing either. The fuck, man? Mm. My dad's a fucking old school geezer. If he tells you he's trying to kill himself to a point where he's at to rush, be rushed to hospital, you ain't going to change your way of life with him. Or tell anyone. It'd be fucking different. His sister knew and his girlfriend knew. And look, no disrespect to them. They, they probably held it back for love. But fucking think about it, man. Mm. Like, I mean, listen, if someone's going to go, they're probably going to go. Like, they find a way. Like, doctors told me, like, you could stop them one day, but they might go the other day. You know what I mean? No, that ain't the case. That ain't the case. Time, time heals. Think, and, and things change. Things change. You know what I mean? Like, my dad had a good support network. If his support network knew that he'd just tried to kill himself, maybe they would have, like, whoa, 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 what's going on here? And seen what was going on. Because it was bad business with my dad. You know what I mean? He was, I can't get into it fully. But my dad was doing property developments that went west. Yeah. It was, that's all it was. That's all I'm going to say. They went west. My dad was a very smart man that's made a very successful career his whole life. My dad's downfall is trusting people. My dad does a deal and says, yeah, go on, you can nick 10% of that as well, mate. They they take his kindness of weakness and, and that's it. But no one done anything to kill Mick Norcross. He just had enough. But yeah, the November. So I found out after that he tried to top himself in November, man. But he'd he done it on January 2021. So some people think it was spontaneous. I don't. I think the second he chose to hang himself was spontaneous. I think he'd already planned out what he's going to do and where he's going to do it. I think he was just waiting for maybe one thing to go wrong or because that morning he woke up He'd done his diabetes blood level checks. He wrote them in his book. Um, and he actually came into my house. The last time I see him alive was at 8 o'clock in the morning. I remember I was standing up in my kitchen eating my breakfast. He's come in the back door and said, listen, Kirk, these are proper fucked me, right? To For, for me to get any of my money back, I'm going to have to lose that, sell that, and I'm going to have to go get a different house for a bit. I said, mate, I'll go, I'll go fucking buy a house. Don't worry about me, dad. I've got enough money. I've told you for the last couple of years I can go. I can rent an house or go buy a flat or something. Do you know what I mean? And he said, no, 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 we sorted. This is what I've got to do, Kurt. I've got to lose that, sell that, fuck him off. I said, Dad, I'm here to help you whatever you need to do. I had my jet washing company. Um, so I, so he was in the office. He had an office at his farm and he was working with his pal and my dad's girlfriend. They were working on the phone to the architects, getting some drawings and pictures over. And I went to Brentwood to price up a job with my mate Dan. And I knew my dad weren't right. That morning? Or that, just in general? In general. But in that day, I was standing to price up this job and I went to my mate Dan. I don't even know where it come from. This is why I was a bit at ease with it. Because I think I was as ready as my dad maybe. I went to my mate Dan. I'm going to lose my dad this week. I had never thought 
And you can ask my mate, his name's Dan Curry. I'm a lovely guy. Done a lot, lot for me after my dad died. Done a lot for me prior to that. Anyway, I'm going to lose my dad this week. On the way home from work, I bought my dad a scratch card. Never did. But on the way home, first time ever I bought him a scratch card. And I, where I was in my sobriety, we used to pray a lot. And I'm Catholic. My God, he's Jesus, God. That's who, who I believe is God, you know. And uh, I got back. Normally, I used to go straight from part of my work van up, go in my dad's office and have a chat with him. But I knew he was a bit stressed. He had a big day that day, like with architects and whatnot. I went straight into my house and I put the, lock, the, the scratch card on my sofa. And I got on my hands and knees, on my knees, sorry. And I prayed to my God. And I, and I said, dear Lord, because I used to pray all the time. That's what sobriety teach you. I don't, I don't now at the moment. I do sometimes. I pray, but not get down and pray. You know what I mean? I could do it in my car on the way to work. But I said, Lord, um, I know it's not good to ask for money, but please can you do, um, give my dad a break with these scratch cards, please. And, uh, and I said, can you just fucking, what was the exact word I said? My dad's in pain. Just just help him out, man. Help him out. Anyway, left the scratch card on the sofa. I went for a little sleep, little nap on the on the other sofa. I woke up with a um with a text from my dad's girlfriend saying, You see you seen your dad? I've just launched up out of that sofa, I knew. Jumped up out of my ass and she's there with my dad's brother, who was a handyman at our farm. She goes, He's not answering his phone, Kirk. He's in the house though, because his trainers are on the other side of the door and the key's in it. I knew. I knew. I said, right. Just let me look, please. So I'm looking all through the bottom windows. All through the bottom windows, I couldn't see nothing. So my dad had a roof garden. Right? His bedroom had a roof garden. So I got a ladder to get up on a roof garden. Huge the roof garden is. Probably big enough as the whole square foot of the, of the fucking house. It was huge. So I got up on one side and I had this walk across the fucking roof garden to his patio bedroom doors. And in my head, I'm like, I'm going to find him dead on the bed. And as I've walked, I've looked through his bedroom window. I couldn't see him, but I was so relieved but scared at the same time. And then, um, so then I got down and um, I said, we're going to have to get through the back door. I said to my dad's brother, can you get me, get me a hammer? And um, I'm smashing the back door with a hammer with a glass and it just, it was break, it was shattering, not breaking. And I literally just pushed my hand through it. Split all my hand up, put my hand through the door, opened it. The minute I opened it, I see my dad's basement door open. And uh, so I told the family to stay out because I knew, I knew something had happened. So I called him and um, I walked, it was fucking huge his basement. He just built it up. He was refurbing his house, you know, and I walked down these stairs. You walk down, you walk down the steep stairs and then you turn into probably another two stairs and then you got a big room, which was unfinished because it was going to be a, a, a games room. And I'm, dad. And then when you uh, go into that room and then you go left into another room and then I could, yeah, my, my dad had just, he was there hanging. Um, he'd been there a long time, man. So I'd, uh, I'd screamed and rugby tackled my father and there was a table tipped over on the, on the floor. My fucking weird head, man. I need to get my dad's feet back on that table so I can take this rope off of his neck 
So my dad's 15, 16 stone and I've got, I'm holding my fucking dad up and I'm trying to, with my left leg, trying to get this table to stand back up and I'm trying to pull this rope out off his neck. And uh, I just couldn't do it. And my dad's brother run down and he's a handyman. I just said, fucking cut the rope. And he had, a, he's always got a Stanley on him. And I just didn't realise. I finally got this table up and I got my dad's feet on this table. But my dad's not there to hold himself, do you know what I mean? And and Andrew's cut the rope, my dad's brother. He cut and then run. Fair enough, he couldn't deal with it. And um, yeah, I've rolled on the floor with my dad. And I uh, just, just screaming, trying to help him. His mate who was working in the office had heard the commotion and run down. And I'm just laying with my dad trying to do something. I, I thought it was so hard because I thought he had another rope around his neck because I got one off. I thought it was another one. <clears throat> but it wasn't. It was where it was on so long. The, the indent in his neck looked like another purple rope. And uh, his French come down giving him CPR and I've got all my blood over my hand from where I cut my hand and... Uh, I was um, I was blowing in his mouth and he's got no pulse whatsoever and uh, his friend Wayne just wouldn't give up and uh, I just said stop leave him please because I see that my dad was done you know what I could see was uh, he was done like he wanted this you know like he just killed himself and we're trying to revive him I know that's what you should do. It was too late though anyway, but I just said, please leave my dad. And um, I tried to give him CPR a little more time and it was, you know, and I just laid with him. I give him a cuddle. <coughs> I give him a cuddle when I just told him, thank you. Sorry for everything I've done. And um, it was January 21st in, in Boxing Day. He let me give him a skinhead. So his hair was a little bit overgrown and his soft hair. So I stroked his hair, I tidied his shirt up and I gave him a kiss and I went and um, I needed drugs fucking instantly because I was going to go kill someone or kill myself. And I said it before, I do not agree. I was sober at this point and I don't agree on relapses. But if I didn't go get on it at that time, I would have killed someone or killed myself. And that's not a cliche. Hmm. Sorry, I'm like, yeah. um, and I rung my power up and said, you bring me fucking drugs right now or this is over for everyone. I'll go on one. Listen, I ain't no one. But what I see, listen, when you find someone in that state, they don't look like their self. You know, there's a few things that humans act and do when they pass away, you know, that only I experienced. Um, I think finding anyone in that way is very traumatizing, but, I look at my father as a god. No one can hurt this man. I thought he'd going to outlive me, Liam. Mm. But it's so weird. When I first walked in and see my dad, I don't know if I was. it was a shock, a fear, a trigger or something. Whatever my dad had inside him that was making him feel like shit, I see. It was not an image or nothing. It was a feeling that you can see. Mm. And when I see him, as I was running, I just thought, I, I understand why you've done it. 
because <clears throat> I can see all this darkness around him, and I'm not saying it was true. It might have been trauma, stress. I just knew why he'd done it. It's like when he killed himself, whatever black demons or what he had inside him, I just see him and... They were gone. They were gone outside and he was gone, you know. Um, listen, I'm so glad that... I, I, you know what? I actually... I wish my dad... If he was going to do it, I stand by my father's decision. My dad is very calculated. He would have planned everything. Um, I wish he maybe done it a different way. Maybe had, had, uh, poor old Dave Corney done it. You know, just so I don't want my dad to experience pain. So after after that, I was obsessed with hanging. Um, what was your dad wearing? He was wearing jeans. A uh, greeny blue jumper and a shirt. He had his shoes off. And so that's the kind of man my dad has. He's going to hang himself and he took his shoes off before. It made me think when you said you sorted his collar out, but before that he was sort of, he wasn't himself and he was wearing different clothes. He dressed smart to well, leave. He, he laid his jacket on the floor as well, Liam. There was no ah, angry fucking thing. There was no rope in that cellar. And when we watched the CCTV camera of him walking to the house, he had no rope with him. But then we found out this after his death. So when Wayne had come down, his friend had come down to give him CPR, we could see where my dad, where I'd just cut my dad down from. He said, he fucking told me he was going to do it now. He told me six weeks ago, if these fuckers rob him, he's going to hang himself off that hook. I'm like, you fucking hell, man. I know it's no one's fault, but he killed his, tried to kill himself in front of you. He told you where he's going to hang himself. There were no signs. He fucking told you. Next time anyone ever tells you that they're feeling suicidal, do your best to stick with them. Do everything you can, even if it costs you time, money, or love. You know what I mean? He didn't give us no signs. He fucking told us. He gave me a few signs, actually, which the way my dad was talking, it was like in the future. So a couple of weeks before, we walked around the garden. We had a gardener. He's like my best friend, Paul. Been our friend before, gardener for years, but friend over everything. My dad had him like four times a week or something. And we walked around the garden a couple of times weeks before my dad died. And he said, Kurt, when I go, just make sure you keep Paul on and look after this farm and everything. But the way he said it was like, like years, like when he goes, when he dies, you know mm. what I mean? Um, but I kept Paul on. I could only keep him on for a year. I felt so bad when I get rid of him. It cost me. So when my dad died, I still had my jet washing company was doing all right. It cost me 15 grand, yeah, 15 grand for the year the gardener you know but my dad asked me to do that what we'd done at my dad's as well at my dad's funeral we got all pictures of family and put it in his suit pocket um I'm a, I'm a little bit gutted that i only found out this after my dad's funeral so i took my dad's suit to the funeral home we chose a lovely suit that he'd, he'd wore at a wedding previously at my cousin's wedding and we'd put a suit on him shirt yellow shirt gray and yellow tie and put all the pictures in his pocket when he got buried, so he's got all of them. But then what I found out, this is the kind of man that my dad is. So when his granddad died, or when his dad died, my granddad, my dad didn't want no one touching him. And he got his own dad dressed in the mortuary, ready for the funeral. Put his suit on him, brushed his hair, cleaned him up. I've got it because I would have done that. Hmm. So my dad, 
got diagnosed with COVID after he fucking died. My dad was a 12-weeker, diabetic. He was not allowed out, right? Anyone that come in, my dad was severe, checked, was swabbed a lot, yeah? So I see my dad when he died. I laid with my dad. I said, thank you, cuddled him, smartened him up and everything, you know? Um, And, yeah, so when he got taken to the funeral home, they're like, oh, Kirk, so he's he's been tested positive for COVID, yeah? What? So can you let anyone know that comes to the funeral home that it's a closed casket with a perspex fucking window about that big? So you can't go, you normally go funeral home and hold their hand and you can give them a little kiss. The chapel arrest. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? But where he got diagnosed with COVID, like he hadn't got fucking COVID. He hadn't got COVID. My dad hadn't got COVID. So I didn't go see my dad at the chapel arrest because I had a nice uh, traumatic experience, but... I laid with my father when after he died and I, I, I said what I had to. So I didn't want to be the last time I see my dad not being able to physically touch him or hold him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the family went now and see him. Um, then obviously he had his family home that we've lived at for many years that we all moved out of. I moved to Norfolk. What I'd done, I made a memory box. You know, them little lock petty cash boxes from Costco, you know, with a little key. Yeah, yeah. So I went and got one of my dad's shirts I sprayed it with his favourite aftershave. I got all pictures of the family. I got his favourite sweets. I got every little things I remember with dad. I put it in his memory box. I've locked it. I've shrink wrapped it up loads. I've got the digger, dug a big hole, dug it in my dad's old house. So he's got a bit of him now. Still there. Yeah, that's it, man. Because he'd like that. But So I was obsessed, Liam, with what my dad had to experience during his death which is fucking horrible. So I relapsed hard. So my dad died, died on January 2021. I sniffed. I'm not saying every day, but the duration from November, uh, from January 2021 till May the 3rd. Like, just gone. If I, if I, no, sorry, if I had my son, I wouldn't do it. Never do it. Never do it. When, when Daniel used to live with me, I'd do it when Daniel and Harry would be a bed still wrong but when I we split up I'd never do drugs when I had my son um, which I think credit to me and I've got to start giving myself credit to know how bad I was that not even a police car behind me will stop me having a bump I mean like that like shit police behind me I have a bump not a line then not stupid mm. do you know what I mean but so anyway I went on this fucking mad one Liam dad's dead I'm fucking fucking out me nuts and I am trying to search every fucking video on the dark web or live leak or whatever it is of finding people hanging. I had to. I had to Google how long it takes. There's mixed results. Some people say it's it's quite a peaceful way to go and it's quite quick. Some people say it's very painful. You know, I'd listen to other previous stories about people that have hung themselves, some survivors, some guy that hung himself that was there for seven days, alive. Didn't die. I don't know how that didn't cut that off, but I had to. I had to research it. Like what part? My dad's certain parts of his body look different. His hands, his 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 face here, his tongue. You know, and I had to. I had to know. Like I, I just needed to know what. Like I was obsessed with it. Like the marks around my dad's neck. I needed to. I, I never got like pictures. I needed. I'm trying to remember. Did my dad have scratches near his rope? I didn't want to look like he tried to get out of it mm. and regretted it. Like, it sounds so horrible, but if my dad done it, I wanted him to do it. 
it like it's so horrible. So he done it in November and regretted it and marched himself straight to hospital. So he didn't want to do it that day. I just hope that he wanted to. No, no, I don't think suicide is not right and is not the answer in any way. I'm not justifying this. My dad chose peace that day and I hope he stood by his peace, if you know what I mean. You know, because I, I see other pictures of scratch marks and I Googled why am I seeing scratches near the lacerations or whatnot, whatever it was called. And they're like, there's people trying to get it off. And, and I used to watch, I watch videos. I watch videos on the fucking live, is it live leak, that fucking place you can watch shit videos on what sort of like horrible yeah dark stuff yeah yeah i'm not too sure i've never i've never gone down that route to just and i mean i was obsessed with it i mm. needed to know what my dad's final moments was um what conclusion did you come to so um i tried to do it just uh I just wanted to feel what my dad felt. I didn't want to go, really. <clears throat> but my dad experienced all of my pain, all of it. I needed to experience some of his, you know? And it hurt like fuck. I fell off when I tried to do it. And uh, I just needed to feel what my dad felt. I don't know why. You know, because he'd done so much for everyone. And I just, maybe I wanted to do it so it didn't hurt. And I'd be like, oh, or at least he, I don't know. But I'm fucking great, man. Like, I got a fucking severe PTSD from this, though. And uh, mm. that buckles me up, Liam. Like, I'm, I mean, I'm so healthy, right? So... I am ready. I, I reckon, sorry, I am 90% perfect where I want to be and how I want to act, where my life is, where it's going, even the things I've done. I'm never going to make them mistakes now because I've done them. Um, you know, with when I have like little PTSD outbreaks, they take you back a couple of steps. Um, so when dad died, they, they were quite frequent and often, like in the days. Um, I'll be at work and boom, fucking there, smells, sounds, everything. Like, like and you couldn't shut your eyes or open your eyes and it was there. Do you know what I mean? Is this also whilst you're, whilst you're going down the rabbit hole on live link and the dark web looking at that sort of stuff? Uh, no, that was sort of like for a week after his dad's death. I just went on a mad fucking bender and I just spent a week researching suicide of hanging. Um, but then, yeah, the PTSD sort of more kicked in when I was getting sober again. Well, not getting sober. I got sober straight away. Further May chose to throw the towel in and carried on. And yeah, I'll be at work. And uh, so I had a weird thing. I get it now and then. Um, there was no smell when my dad died. He hasn't. He wasn't dead for a long time. Do you know what I mean? There was no smell. But there, I think it was the police or the ambulance. I had to go do a police interview a couple of days later, and my hands I had all blood and and all worn, all like uh, scratched. And it and they asked obviously 
have care. Are you okay? And I said, I said, what smell would I have smelt? I said, have you ever found someone like that before? And they said, yeah, we have a couple of times. I said, what smells on my hand? And they said, Kurt, we were there. There's no smell. I said, I've got a smell like fucking death. And I was washing it for about a month with bleach every second. It was nothing. There was nothing there. I'd skip my mum. What is this smell on my hands, mum? She's like, there ain't no smell. I was like, it fucking is. And <clears throat> if I'd see anything that was the same shade of light that was in that cellar that day or or any tree or or branch or something where you can hang yourself, this smell, like, and I, and I was just scrubbed with bleach, 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 straight bleach, just pour bleach on my hand. And it ain't that bad after a while, but a week or two of doing that. So... Yeah, the flashbacks of seeing my dad, I get that a hell of a lot. But the nightmares I have, Liam, they say, some people, some people say that the past taught you in your dreams. Have you ever heard that? Yeah, I've heard that expression. And I had severe dreams. I kept having dreams of my father killing himself in front of me night after night, and it weren't just hanging. First dream I had my dad he was I found him he was hanging but he was still alive you know how mad dreams are there's no relevance it's like to save my dad's life I had to cut his leg off to drain blood to relieve pressure so I remember in this dream this is that graphic I mean I've had dreams I told you about my dreams since I was a kid my dreams are so horrible I've had night terror since a kid anyway so chop my dad's leg off in this dream and then he comes back alive and I managed to get him down. As I've turned around to clean the blood off, he's hung himself again in front of me. Then the next night or the next week, whenever I had another dream, he knocks on my back door in a dream. I had a glass door in my old house. He knocks on it. And as I go to open it, he just got cut his wrist in front of me and just died in front of me. Then I've had another dream. All of these dreams are all suicide-based dreams, Liam, yeah? Uh, and, I mean, I wake up like... <laughs> sweating can't breathe and and if it is true that the past can speak to you in your dreams even though it's a severe way my dad's given me if it is is he telling me that this is what i wanted to do there's no stopping this kirk because in my dream i always stop him and he does it again Hmm. like so i've got to take rather than let these dreams panic me because i can you can even go two ways I can be like, my dad's still here, he's killing himself, like, because I'm gonna have these dreams forever. Or I gotta think, you know what? If the if if that aspect of some people's thought is true, that the past can speak to you in your dreams, I'm gonna use that what I do in life now. I use things as positives rather than a negative. There is always a positive thing. That's my father telling me, son, this is my journey. I wanted to do this. I'm at peace now. And I've got to take that. It's as severe it is. I mean it's bad. The smell, I haven't had the smell in a long time. Um, Does that come back? randomly like yeah like randomly it's weird it's so weird i've never heard i've heard of some smells with ptsd but mainly soldiers um because of the the environment and surroundings they were this strong sense and stuff of anything from ammunition to to bodies wherever they are in the world you know but there was no smell at my father's death scene you know what i mean and um but your brain's crazy isn't it liam yeah without a doubt it's uh it's kind of unforgiving mm. and it, op- it opens the doors when it chooses oh, man. to open them. So how am I, I, listen, I'm quite open about it. So how I talk about it is my therapy. So I have to talk about it because it is burnt into my retina, Liam. Talking to you right now, I can fucking see it more than I can see you. There ain't nothing getting it away. Mm. I don't even, sometimes I see the, his whole 
the whole thing. But sometimes it's literally like, imagine someone just, ah, just jumping in your face. It just gets my eyes like, like literally, I could be just, say, driving, and then, ah, my dad's there hanging, like, fuck, like, like a flash. The fuck? You know, and then once I've seen that, then I reenact the whole thing, walking down the stairs, calling him, taking him, hands, police after, all the slow motion, everything was all slow motion after. I could just see my family. All of my family was there because my dad didn't get taken out until like gone 10 at night. You know what I mean? So this was like in the afternoon. By that time, all the family, my dad had quite a big front courtyard. And when I'd come up, so I, I put my emotions aside that side, that night. If my dad, if this was any of my family and my dad was me, my dad would be right, right, well, I'll cry tomorrow. Sort the police out, sort the ambulance, sort the private ambulance out, make sure the gate's locked and everything. With fucking paparazzi outside. Of course. Taking fucking pictures of my dad's fucking dead body going away in a black van. But literally, even though I was getting on the gear, I was speaking to the police. I was, I was everyone speaking to me. But all I remember is all the family, in, like frozen, in my head, like, it was like, all slow motion. Do you ever remember the Max Payne game, PlayStation, or the film Max Payne? I know what you mean, but I'd never, I'd never see it. It was all slow motion sometimes, and it was like that. There was, there was no, there was snow. I've got, I get PTSD with snow now. That's really. Oh, so when my dad, yeah, that's a weird one because you meant to love snow, ain't you? Mm. Uh, and it's not even just snow; it's icy grass. That's the trigger point for you. Yeah. So when my father died, it was snowing, mm. um, and. There's so many lovely people left flowers at my father's gate. People that don't even know him. Neighbours and everyone. God bless every single one that did. But my dad every morning used to walk the perimeters of the farm. And uh, I used to walk with him. But then I started doing it. And, uh, just that noise. I can't tie my shoes without thinking about it. I can't tie my cord on my jeans, on my trousers. I went and bought a house last year. Lovely house, lovely garage. When they showed me the house, showed me the garden, they went and showed me the garage. I was so obsessed with this house. I mean, the minute they opened the door, I said, I'm having it. I said, please let me make you an offer. The minute I went in the garage, this is what I say to myself. I'll hang myself off, Dale. First thing that comes to me, not me, but that's where you can hang yourself. It's a fact. Anywhere. Do you know what I mean? Like, every time I walk down my stairs in my house, you've got a landing and you've got the, the top bit that looks down. Hang yourself off of there. Like, what the fuck, man? And listen, I'm not taking nothing from my father. I love my dad. I love my dad more because I found out actually how much he was dealing with throughout his life. He was paying for a fucking multiple people's mortgages, multiple people's gas bills, electric bills, giving people money who didn't need it. There's people out there that still are in fucking money. You know what I mean? Only like tens and twenty grands that that are quick to do an Instagram post. Say, oh, Mickey was a very good friend of mine, and I miss him. You owe him money. Why do you want to message his kids? You know his kids. Come pay up your fucking debts. Well, you think that debt's gone? You know what I mean? Horrible people out there. You know. Um, but I had to deal with a lot of shit when my father died. A lot of shit in a space of a year from. So settling stuff with you, not just me, the family. We all come together as a big family. Uh, and they've not all turned out nice, by the way. There's a fucking podcast too on this, I tell you. Some of our family have had our pants down like you wouldn't believe, Liam. You know, when someone dies mm. and you're meant to stick together. You know who's who and what's what then. Fuck, you're meant to stick together. You've lost the glue. And they're like, 
I'm going to have one more bite of you. Fuck, man. Can you not see we're hurting enough? But listen, a snake's always a snake, isn't they? Do you know what I mean? And it's, it's, you, know, you heard that analogy before when a woman, she sees a snake dying on the floor. It's all dehydrated. She picks this snake up and she takes it home. She feeds it water. She looks after it for ages. She gets this snake really healthy again. And the snake bites her. Oh, you just bit me for. I've been looking after you. The snake goes, you knew I was a snake. That's my fault for trusting some people that I knew were wrong ones, you know what I mean? But that's another thing. But um, I'm fucking great, Liam. Honestly, I know I haven't spoke about this for a long time. As it felt discussing that? To someone like you a lot, because you felt, yeah. It helps me. My father probably wouldn't want me talking about it. I've had multiple, if, if, they, if they say it's true, that your parents or, or deceased can talk to you in your dreams. I have multiple dreams of my dad coming up to me, showing me how embarrassed he is about his um, about his marks on his neck. You know, really embarrassed. I even had a fucking dream that it was weird. I spoke to a medium about it. I said, listen, this wasn't a fucking dream. This was in the day. Tell me what this is. I dropped my dad's suit off to the chapel of rest and then the next day... I was at work and I had a flashback as quick as anything of my dad on the mortuary table in the chapel of rest being sat up while some woman puts a shirt on him while he's dead. And my dad's literally dead but looking at me going, fucking hell man, this is what it's come to. Some fucking woman dressing me naked like some woman I don't know. I was like, that weren't a dream. That weren't a flashback. What the fuck was that? What was that? Do you know what I mean? Like it was too, it was too much for me. It was like a me- like uh, listen, I ain't, I ain't spiritual in that sense. But I've had flashbacks, I've had dreams, I've had PTSD. This wasn't something more deep than that. Fuck yeah! I felt mm. emotion with it. I felt like my dad was embarrassed that he had a stranger that he didn't know fucking dressing him. I never got that. I've, I've never got an emotion like that. Normally, what emotions you get is what you feel in a dream. Mm, yeah, I. My dad gave me an emotion, and I'm not saying, listen, I could be fucking nutty. I probably am with everything I've done for my life. But that was fucking weird. He certainly left left you with some serious strength, I think. The day my father died, I, I, a part of my father stayed with me, I feel. I feel that losing my dad, I gained him more. Mm. When my dad was alive, I only had him when I see him. And I'd have to ring him up to ask him something or I'd have to go physically see him. Since my dad's gone, I never have to ask him. He's there. He's in you. He's there, man, yeah. I I, I still have my old moments. I feel like since I've lost my father, I conduct myself a lot differently. Um, Can I say there's certain parts of his story that sort of knock me sideways mm. as well and I'm trying my best to, <laughs> to steer it. But when I say about that strength and you said that you, you did change the day he died and you, you become someone else and that he's within you, mm. I saw you on Loose Women mm. a year after he died. And so four months of that, you you clocked out really on the drugs. Yeah. So sort of you're eight months into a grieving process and I'm watching you 
looking really handsome, stripy shirt, undone, silver chain. Yeah. Paid attention. I can't find that silver. I broke it. I need to get someone to fix it. It's my dad's thumbprint. I need uh, to fix that. I've still got it. But yeah, sorry. Yeah, so I paid great attention to that. And I'm thinking, wow, this guy has lost his father a year ago. And he's now in the middle of four women mm. firing questions at him left, right and centre about about the whole ordeal. Yeah. And you kept it together and you composed yourself and you was extremely polite and professional and you know, you, you obviously welled up, but you you put a message out there to the public, a message of sort of public support, like you was doing your public service. And I yeah. thought, fuck me, this geezer's strong. Thank you. I, I got slated by Big love for that man. Thank you. I got slated by a member of my family for doing that. Terrorised on social media. Wow. It was the anniversary of my dad's death that that aired on. I thought it'd be a good thing to do for my father's death because his name will live on. And if I could potentially save one person's life by talking about my father's death, I've made the world a better place. But I turned the day into a Kirk day and turned the story all on to me rather than my dad. Um, but I, I, I've stepped away from the mental health and the suicide a bit now um, because it's very dark territory. So I'm sort of doing the same thing. I use my social media to spread positivity. But before, where all I was dealing with was suicidal thoughts and images and stuff like that, I had to, um, it was getting dark and I, I've, I was getting people telling me what they were going to do to their self and, and, and I had to step away from it, Liam, because I've had to call the police two times on people that have messaged to, to get them around to their house. Like fucking get their numbers, like to get their name. I've got this name and I think they live in this area. You know what I mean? One of them was lucky enough to message me back and say, thank you so much. Please come to my house. I'm sorry for messaging you. But it's dark, Liam. I get that. If you if you air a traumatic experience, especially on social media, you get so many people that mm. have got a similar... I can't brief. blame them either. No, they, they, they reach out to you because they, they feel like you've found the answer and, yeah. and they want it. I'm still learning with it myself. So I don't even, I don't think I've grieved. I haven't stopped since my father died. I haven't grieved. I had four months on the gear mm. and I haven't fucking stopped since then, mate. I have not stopped. So after the relapse, fucking moving house, getting all that ready, then I moved house to Norfolk, complete new area. I've spent the last year gutting my house, doing it up. Uh, we'll talk about it in a minute. Set up like got two businesses. Um, I haven't stopped and I do get a little bit worried. When is this going to hit me, Dad's death? Because it ain't. Has it? I don't know. I don't think it'll ever stop hitting you. Well, yeah. You're probably being hit right now still. Yeah, so um, one thing I can't, I love looking at pictures of my dad, but I can't watch videos. I can't hear his voice. He had a lovely voice, my dad. What a fucking good voice he had. You got a good voice, mate. I've said that to you before. (laughs) Thank you. But his voice was so calming. I I just, everything about my father. See my father. Was it similar to yours? No. Because you've got a very distinctive sound of voice, haven't you? Yeah, my, my dad, he... I don't know his voice. Watch watch an episode of Towie tonight, but I can't hear his voice. His voice makes him a person, if you know what I mean. When you see a picture of someone, it's an image, isn't it? You know? But my dad, even if you don't believe in heaven, hell, spirituality, and everything like that, just Mick Norcross alone, fucking death, don't take that man away from this earth. Trust me. Like, he has installed himself into everyone. 
mostly during his promiscuous days. <laughs> I was joking. But, <laughs> like, the guy, honestly, is a fucking legend. He trusted people too much, you know. Um, I learned a lot from him. I've got a lot of my dad's bad traits as well, you know. So my dad was a better at it with, with me. So we are host and we like to make people smile. My dad was never flirty around girls. He makes a girl feel welcome and safe. I like to do the same. I'm just like my father. I do it in a flirty way by accident. Like, because I want a girl to feel confident, loved, sexy. So when I do it, like, oh, Kirk's chatting up every girl. No, no, no. My dad's taught me to be a gentleman, but I'm just not doing it as smooth as Mick Norcross. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, um, he's, he's, a, he's a man, right? My dad is a fucking saint. I love him. And, and look, thanks to my father and some other of my... Uh, 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 one other person, my father's friend, um, left us in a great position, you know. Um, you know, I got a house, no mortgage. I got a car, no finance. I've got my own businesses, and and a lot of that is one for what we've got from not just being given, but what we've been taught by my father. You know, um, I've recently just set up a business and just invested into an existing business which is um i haven't worked for just over a year physically now i had a jet washing company for five years which was very good but when i moved to norfolk i'm going to tell the truth i didn't want to start at the bottom of the chain again i built up quite a good business in essex and surrounding areas and i was established i was a good name i didn't want to have to learn earn the respect again if you know what i mean doing cheaper jobs and mm. well this person's good so you're gonna to have to undercut them so i thought i'll do a fresh start so i invested into a party bus company which is good for someone who don't drink but, yeah uh, yeah so it's vrp party buses which is great my partner bud is a man that i love that's given me a great opportunity and i get worried about doing business with people because i've been knocked a few times since my dad died um a good friend of mine when was that this year robbed 15 grand cash off me good friend don't talk to him now but someone that if shit hit the fan i'd probably be like can you help me out mate can you back me up done a business deal with him he said if it don't go your way we'll give you the money back it didn't go my way. He said, well, you ain't getting your money back. We don't do deals like that. I was like, okay. That was gone. So I've, I really worry, trust issues about doing business with people, like real trust issues, because a lot of my dad's friends that betrayed him when he died, were, a, lot, a lot of people that betrayed my dad when he died was his friends who were meant to look after us when dad died, not financially, like muscle, like or as a father figure. They turned their back on us real quick. And didn't even just turn their back on us. They turned their back on, on us and then faced us and said, you know. The vultures come out. Yeah, man. We're like, fuck you. You know. Listen, you, 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 you know, I'm not letting no one do what they've done to my father. No, don't let them win, man. That's it. No one wins. No one wins. I tell you what, everyone wins. That's that's what we need a fucking life. Everyone wins. Uh, and I've got, yeah, I've just started a recovery vehicle business. How about that? It's good that you're, you're continuing being a businessman. Oh man, this is just I, like your dad. I love working. I love working. Um, I love working. My friend, a friend has just bought a, a lovely house, but it's quite old. And I, my dad had a very creative eye. He could design a house in, in a, in a session of a cup of tea. You know, he could get the floor plinch, draw it out, do a Pinterest board. And I've sort of got that from my dad. You know, I've done my house and stuff and I'm, I'm, I'm not a builder, but I can take a wall down, put plasterboard up and, you know, 
I'm not a builder, but I know what builders I have to get in. Do you know what I mean? And I wouldn't have my pants down, but I've got a lot of builders wrapped around me and my business partner just bought a new house and he wants to gut it all. And I said, oh, mate, it should look like this with this. He said, yeah, it's yours. Do the project for me, son. He says, I just want it to look like a Spanish window with a, a Spanish villa with a lot of glass. I sent him a couple of Pinterest ideas. He went, I like it. The whole project's yours. That's good for your mind, isn't it? Brilliant. Um, you know what I haven't spoke about on this podcast? But, well, is it anything to do with the birds? No, it's my son, Harry. Well, you did touch base on yeah, Harry. And see, then I, oh, I wasn't going to go there in case you didn't want to talk about it. Well, him. I didn't want to talk about Harry because I was talking a lot about dark stuff. See my son, Harry. Fuck. I'd chop my fucking hand off right now to mm. show you how much I love him. I swear on my life. You know when there's when you love something, when love isn't even a word that can describe this feeling. It's not a big enough word. There ain't a, there ain't a word that... It's like with my dad, though. Like you, There wasn't a word to describe how I felt about my dad. Like So this is me and my dad, right? See, if me and my dad were sitting at this table, I mean, this is until... Literally up until he died. Like So I'd have to just sort of touch him or saying, or put my foot on his foot. So I'd have to be fucking close to him. Connect. I'd have to, man. Like, you know, he didn't like it. He'd be like, fuck off. I was like, give us a cuddle. Come on. He's like, no, give me a cuddle, you big bear. And he'll give me a cuddle and then he'll jab me in the arm after. But my dad loved Harry a lot. Um, Harry sort of remembers granddad. Um, but so what we told Harry is granddad mix on the moon um, because the moon's always out. So... We always say goodnight to Grandin Mick on the moon. Um, I've never took Harry to the grave yet, but what I've got at mine is enough. So I took some dirt from the grave. I got that at mine. I dug an apple tree out from my dad's garden. I've took my dad's bench and I've put some plaques on there. Very simple. Mick Norcross, thank you. He done a fucking lot for me, but he taught me how to be a father and he taught me how to be a father in two ways, by his mistakes and by his goodness. And going back to your just back to your son, because I, I always see the two of you together and I yeah. see I see your whole face light up when you're with him. Do you see your dad in your son's eyes? You know what? It must see my dad, because I see someone that's gonna make an impression on anyone they meet. And that's my father. I think I have a little bit of that sometimes. Not every people gel with me, but that's understandable. I'm quite full on at times, you know. Um, as I said, with my lack of confidence, I come across overconfidence sometimes. I overcompensate. Um I'm happy with my life. And I, I always would like to say, I wish my dad could see where I am now, but I don't think I would be where I am now if it wasn't for my dad going. I was willing to be a son, even if he lived to 100 and I was fucking 60, 70. Yeah. I, I'm, your, I'm your son. What do you want me to do for your dad? You know, what I used to say to my dad, he used to muck around, what if I get old and start shitting myself in that Kirk? I said, it'd be the biggest privilege I ever had to look after you. And that's the truth. That's, that's why I'm glad that I found him because I got to not, not let people see him in a bad way. You know, I got to get him down and I said, Dad, don't even think I'm fucking joking. I'd be privileged to look after you. I'd be privileged to wipe your ass, to fucking clean your snot up. He is a God to me, always has. He's taught me so much and continues to teach me so much, which I teach to my children. Um, I try my best to be a better person every day. Some days I don't, so some days I just stay in because I know I'm going to be a, be a bit of an arsehole or a bit aggy. You know, when you wake up and I just, oh, oh fucking hell, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to stay in today. Um, I keep my health up as much as I can. Uh, I try to be active. I believe if you've got a healthy mind, 
and a healthy body, they work. I think once you get a healthy body, you start getting a healthy mind. And also, once you start getting a healthy mind, you get a healthy body. It's however you want to start it first. But focus on one of them and one will come, I promise you. You know that. Mm, I preach that shit. Do you know what I mean? If someone's doing good in life, you tell them they're doing good. You do it to me and many people, Liam, and you give me so much boost. You know, millions of people didn't get to wake up this morning. Okay? No matter how bad your life is going, someone would exchange that for one more day on this earth. You know, when these people die and they're like, oh, I wish I could say goodbye to these people. There's people alive that you're going to say this when they die, so don't wait until they die. Mm. Don't bring flowers to their grave, man. Bring flowers to their door. I've got no hate for no one. And when I wake up, and I'm grateful that I've got air in my lungs. And I mean, it, it sounds so cheesy, but do you understand how fucking lucky you are to wake up? The odds of any human being born on Earth, the fucking odds of this Earth being formed, we are a fucking gift. Use it. And just all we've got is today. And how often have we said to each other about, like, I write a gratitude list oh, every week. And Gotta we spoke about the gratitude list and the, the importance of like, you've actually got to mean it. Yeah, gratitude list. It could be about anything, but you've got to mean it. So mm. for instance, what happened today? Um, like, you know what I'm paying for, for every day? I go to the same petrol garage every morning and there's always two or three same women in there. See them women? I fucking love them. They start my day. Well, when I've got my son, he does. But they're very... You look nice today, Kirk. Or off to work today, Kirk. Anything interesting? I'm like, fuck, see that? The little things. And I'm thankful for that every day. And I say it when I get in my car. Thank you. I say it to them as well. But you've got to do a gratitude list because it's so easy for us to think, oh, life's shit. Yeah, life is shit. Of course it. No one's saying it ain't shit. But if you think about it, you've got enough stuff to weigh out the shitness. Once you do that gratitude list, so your shitness is here. Because you, all, you, all you're focusing on is negative. You write one thing down and another thing down and another thing down. There we go. We've got a healthy balance. We'll take the shit if I've got a bit of good. And that's what gratitude brings to us. Don't just write it down. Read it down. Remember what you're thankful for. The, the bereavement that you're still going through is heavy. So mm. what message would you put out to anybody that's, that's grieving at the moment? Go back to work as quick as you can. Go get back into a routine and miss the person love the person, but act in a way as if they're still here watching you. You know, we can miss them, you know, but imagine if that person alive, how they would want you to act. Say, cheer up, go to work. You're allowed to miss me. Of course it is. It's an emotion, but act as if they're still watching you. Because if some of the people were true, they are. You've got to take some time, spend some time, eat some comfort food as well. I'm not even going to lie. I don't, <laughs> no. I don't agree with healthy food, but Put yourself up on the sofa for the weekend and fill yourself with shit. But then what we're going to do, we're going to get back to work. We're going to go for healthy walks and we're going to act as if they're watching us. And that's what I do now. I act as if my father's watching me. Um, showering's awkward, but no, I'm joking. <laughs> but no, I, I just conduct myself in a way. And now I do, if I slip back to my old ways, I'll apologize to my dad, you know, and I'm like, sorry, dad. Like Basically behave in a manner as if they're still here. Exactly that. That's all you got to do. Miss them. Miss them dearly. But, you know, what we this is a bad thing that we slip into with grieving, okay? And this is what we got to easily get out of. The minute someone dies, we think about all the times we're not going to have with them. Flip it. Think about all the times you've had with them. How lucky are we? Mm. 
Man, again, the negative, we're always going to focus on that negative. We're going to miss these load of times. But if you think about all them, when we went on holiday, do you remember we got stuck out in the rain? Remember when he scared me? Fucking this goes, man. And then you'll just remember all them good times. If you feel healthy enough, look at photos, look at videos. Uh, I can't do the videos yet. I don't, I don't think I will. Still work in progress. Yeah, it just, it just makes my dad a person again, if you know what I mean. Hearing him and not being able to touch him would, would, would kill me. So also take it steady. Take, yeah, listen, there is no time frame on it. There's, there's no time frame on it at all. But I, my brother told me to get back to work and I felt shit until I did. So that was the key bit of advice, Liam. Get back to a normal routine. And so I'm nearly three years into losing my father. Two months in, I thought I was going to go kill a couple of people and then kill myself. Time after that, it gets better. It does. You know, like, I remember my dad every day. The PTSD is obviously a killer. I'm not upset. I'm not upset. I've been crying today. I wasn't upset. That's just a, tr- a, tr- a trigger of emotion, isn't it? Crying brings tears. But, yeah, I'm, I'm. it goes with time. So just get yourself back in a routine. Take it slowly. And remember the good times. Sound. And I'll end it with giving you the number one thing that I'm grateful for today is that you trusted me to come here and share your story with me. Oh, I couldn't think of anyone else, Liam, honestly. Appreciate that, man. Thank and you. Very and much. you. Honestly, it's been a pleasure. I, I, I actually wasn't going to do any podcasts no more, but when you asked me, um, it felt right. Um, yeah, you give me some good advice. Not even the advice you give, the way you just talk. So I, now I'm going to get up. Fuck it. I love watching your dancing videos, Liam. We need one a week. I'm going to try and do some more for you. We need one a week. <laughs> Honestly, see them videos. I'm thinking of, of times that we're going through. That just makes me smile. And you've got to do whatever makes you smile. Even if it, even if you feel silly doing it, just do it. That's, that's when we feel our happiest. Mm. You know what I mean? As they dance like no one's watching. No, dance and let the whole world watch. <laughs> but anyway, thank you very much, Liam. It's been a real pleasure. It really has. Thank you, brother. Oh, thank you, buddy.